Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 2017, the military gathered a small group of scientists to try and bring the Quantum Leap time travel program back online. Five years later, believing it was the only way to save his fiancée's life, Dr. Ben Song risked everything when he entered the accelerator to travel back in time. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Ben believed he would only need to complete 18 leaps before he could return to the place and people he calls home. But something went wrong. And for reasons unknown, Ben did not leap home. What the? Toru, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 154, Nomad. Hello, I would like to go back to Cairo now. Hello, hi, yeah. That way, Cairo. Oh. This is your first field operation, right? Yes, it is. Well, the good news is you've never been to Cairo, so the Stasi don't know you. The bad news is if this is a trap, they'll torture you and bury you in the desert with the rest of the pharaohs. Egypt. This is amazing. It looks like we're flying blind on this one. All we know from the original timeline is that you were a CIA analyst based out of London. You got an anonymous cable that brought you to Cairo, but you failed to make contact and nothing ever came of it. Sounds like I just have to make contact. Once I'm in America, I will give you details on all the East German and Soviet operations across the Middle East, including names of agents, turncoats, and regional agendas. Wow. Okay, here we go. Layla Adele. Impressive credentials, but nothing that screams spy. We know that Layla is nomad. So you get her out of Cairo, not only do you leap, but you also save the lives of dozens of U.S. assets that will otherwise be killed over the next three decades. Why'd you stop? That was good. Ben? Is that you? Yes. It is me. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. And I'm Matt Dale. And we have arrived at a new milestone, Matt. Can <gasps> you believe mid-season finale? We're here. Here we are. I, I'm excited, but it's also come too fast. And I know it's, I mean, it, it could have been faster because we've had the breaks. This eight weeks has taken 11, 12 weeks. <laughs> uh, but it's still, it just seems like it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about this took too long. Yeah. This did not take too long to get here. This was too quick. I'm not ready for the mid-season break. Well, it is here, and um, at least we're going out on somewhat of a bang. Uh, spoiler for initial impressions. But in case you're all out there wondering if you didn't hear the mashup or Albie's announced, today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 8 of Quantum Leap, Nomads. And to celebrate this mid-season finale, we have some spectacular interviews. <laughs> oh, do oh. we? 
Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I did not stop laughing through. Uh, uh, well, actually, I, I did. I was laughing internally. I managed to keep keep a straight face for a lot of it, but um, the cast interview. So, should we say which interviews we've got? I'm jumping into reactions. Yeah, yeah. That's, but, well, because uh, this is this shows the measure of how excited we still are from coming off this high. Uh, so, in case you guys can't understand why we're so giddy, Matt and I spent hours yesterday with Albie talking to the main cast of Quantum leap that included ray and caitlin and nan and mason so we got the four of them on a group call that we all just had this free-for-all chat it was hilarious Uh, (laughs) i i I mean i you'll attest to this right we we were bouncing back and forth in advancing okay we've got to have some questions ready but we all kept saying we've got to have questions ready but let's also assume that those questions will not be necessary because they will just start interacting with each other and particularly mason arrived a little bit late but i think once mason arrived the whole tone changed it just went out of control and if you want if you want to hear the main cast of quantum leap um giving some uh good dish on the season as it's been and the season as it's to come as well as giving each other a lot of shit yes (laughs) you will want to listen to the interview that we have with them which will be coming up after the break uh but that wasn't all we got to do yesterday Mm -hmm. about an hour or so after we got off mic with the cast, we had a new interview with executive producer Dean Georgeris. So that was another. I was I was a little bit worried, but yeah. I got to be honest with you. I said, "What am I going to ask Dean? I don't know." But after we got off mic with the cast, I was so relaxed and so ready to go. I feel like I just <laughs> got on. I was like, "Hey, Dean, what's up?" You know, I put my sunglasses yeah. on, and we were just yeah. we just flowed from there. So. And Dean is just so articulate. Like he, he obviously he knows his stuff inside out, and he apologizes a few times during the interview and says, "Oh yeah, that's me giving you a long answer." And we're like, "No, no, no, that's fine. Just give the long answer." He, he just, he, yeah, he he knows how to storytell. Clearly, it's his trade, and he does that in uh, he delivers that in spades in this interview. Uh, what what I also loved about the interview, and um, you'll hear it after the break, after the interview with the cast, so stay tuned for that, everyone listening. I love the fact that when I ask Dean a question, he gives you a substantive answer, and mm. he clearly thinks about Quantum Leap a lot, and he clearly thinks about what the show is doing a lot, and he wants to make sure that... Everything is firing on all thrusters, story-wise and lore-wise and character-wise and, you know, just the, the production-wise. I mean, he's he's juggling a lot of balls in the air and he's keeping them all going at once and keeping in mind everything that affects them. So it's an amazing interview because if you want to hear someone who is really into the nitty-gritty of um, some of the questions you might have about some of the tonal shifts this season and where things might be going this season and some things that I've noticed have been harkening back to the Legacy series this season. He had chapter and verse about all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah it was it was phenomenal. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, – so we got Raymond Lee, Caitlin Bassett, Nanrissa Lee, Mason Alexander Park, and Dean Georgiaris coming up. So stay tuned for those after the Yay. break. Yay. Whew. Exhale, exhale, exhale. We, we don't need to do a podcast, do we? I mean, we can just, <laughs> just throw straight to them and see you next year, guys. Yeah, I mean... I, I guess well, we could talk about nomads, but... We've got enough content just from the interviews. It's it's nomad. Nomads, nomad. We were unsure of oh. it. <laughs> yeah, well, 
Dean, th- this was the funny thing. I think this was before recording started. Um, I asked Dean directly, is is it Nomad or Nomads? And I remember specifically his wording was, I prefer Nomads. Like, you you wrote it. <laughs> there's, there's no... <laughs> what, prefer? So it's Nomads as far as I'm concerned. I don't I don't see how there's any debate about this now, even though if, if NBC publicity say Nomad... I mean, Nomad is directly referencing something in the script, singular. So it's mm. you have you have your your head cannon. Okay. We'll call that your Dean cannon. Say head head cannon backed up by the writer slash showrunner. <laughs> but okay, that's fine. You do you, Chris. All right, all right. Well, listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you do you. Nomad or Nomads? Do you have any initial impressions of this episode? Uh, wow, two sets of initial impressions. I got to be honest. I was expecting something very different from this episode, and this is entirely a map problem. So when I first saw it, I felt a little deflated. (gasps) I then watched it again, knowing that it wasn't going to be what I was expecting, and loved it. I think it's a really great episode. Um, Just, yeah, I think we can get into the the whys uh, when we get into the talking points, but it had more of some things that I wasn't expecting and less of some things that I was and also, I should say, n- none of that is based on anything that we've been told by people involved in the show. It, this is totally a map problem that I, I went in there with incorrect expectations. But uh, yeah, what a, what a fun episode and what a, what a big one to get to the mid-season finale on. Wow. So thank you for um, reminding me to uh, put this caveat in before I start, uh, because you're talking about having a map problem. I went back last week after editing the episode for A Kind of Magic. I did not realize how negative I came in on that episode (laughs) based completely. And I kept saying, maybe this could be a Chris problem. Maybe this could be a Chris problem. But we had recorded and then a week passed and then we spoke to Margarita. And then I started editing the episode and I was just like, oh, no, this is 100% a Chris problem because I came into that episode with a certain set of expectations based on some research I had done. And upon reflection and also upon speaking to Margarita and everything that went into crafting that script, I realized that I let that color the way I reviewed the episode mm. because some of the things that I thought were failings or at the time, I realized – we're all in there just in a different way than I expected. And it didn't mm. stop me from being somewhat negative on the episode. So I'm not going to backpedal too much. The episode still did have some problems, but I want to say that it's nice that we can recognize when it's me, the problem is me. So I'm glad that you recognize that because when you listen back to this, you won't be like, oh my God, I sound like a jerk. Oh my God, what am I saying? Oh my God, but it was right there in the script. Why are you complaining? So... Anyway, I mean, I'm not going to go back and listen to this anyway. We know I don't listen to the podcast, so I can get away with being a jerk anyway. Future Matt is not going to have a problem with anything I say tonight. You're going to be so surprised when you go back and just listen for posterity or when you're doing your new book and the way I edit it to make you sound like a jerk every episode and I'm the hero. Oh, awesome. I can't wait. (laughs) That's why I've been getting poop through the mail. Little, little poop. People have uh, doxxed me, found out my address and sent me poop in the mail. And now I understand it. Thank you. You know, that's dedication because that seems like it would be very inconvenient to ship, doesn't it? (laughs) This is Britain. You can ship anything. We're a small island. (laughs) 
<laughs> the only thing I want to ship is Ben and Hannah. So let's get back to my initial Banana. impressions. Banana. <laughs> Banana. Banana. My initial impressions of Nomad. I thought this episode was spectacular. I had no expectations coming in except for the fact that it was going to be set in Egypt, obviously from the leap in. And since I've been to Egypt, I thought it was very exciting. I wanted to maybe see some touchstones of things that I might have recognized. I mean, aside from the pyramid and Sphinx, there's not really distinctive landmarks that they go to. But I loved the sense of adventure. I loved the sense of mystery and intrigue. I loved the broader scope of the leap. I loved all of the character stuff. I mean, if we're going to mm -hmm. talk about a favorite episode of the season, I'm going to say this one is up there. I like this oh. one as much as I liked This Has Taken Too Long. Okay. Well, and I like them both for very different That's high reasons. Price. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I knew it was a Dean episode and I've come to realize that when Dean's byline is on the script, it's almost like bracing myself for a Don episode or a Deborah episode. Yes. Yeah. And uh, this time, I, I feel like that expectation was borne out by the episode. So really, yeah, a lot to unpack on this episode. But I feel like we did have one overriding theme in this one. And it was the idea of taking action versus accepting destiny and whether or not those two things can coincide. Because we have been reconciling his new life more than we've seen him so far, and then actually maybe starting to get to enjoy it. I mean, just in general, I felt like we got a lot of discussion here about the meaning and purpose of what Ben is doing. Mm. So, I mean, and, and maybe a little bit of a journey to acceptance for him. Do you have any thoughts on that aspect of the episode? Yeah, I sorry, that's just taken me a moment to process because I hadn't I've I've watched this a few times now and I I still Yeah, I don't think that had really landed with me yet. I completely agree with you. That's uh that's a very clear theme. I, I saw this episode much more from Addison's perspective, looking at her sort of Letting go, um, especially after she discovers the ring at the start, and then um, you, you've got kind of this this weird love triangle where <laughs> like one of them can't see the other one, um, and so yeah, it, I was looking at it through that lens, and I think there's some parallels there, absolutely. But the the Ben plotline, I hadn't I hadn't really wrapped my head around yet in terms of the the emotional arc. Uh, for me, mm. the Ben side was was the action adventure, and I I have no issue with that. And I sense there was probably a a, a deeper level uh, that probably would have required a fourth watch. And uh, you've you've helped me jump to that, but it's just it's take, taking a moment to process. Well, I mean, the real crux of that for me was the scene after he thought that he might be stuck on the leap. That's something else mm. we have to discuss entirely. But um, Hannah's talking up the fact of this great adventure that he's had. And Ben says, I never saw this as something great. I wish I had. I always felt like it was some kind of trial or a curse. He's only now realizing some of the good that he's doing and some of the positive impacts he could have made and accepting this new life. And it was Hannah helping him balance that. Ben, I know you had a life before, but now you're a nomad. And for a nomad, the only home is people. Maybe I'm your home. All of those themes, like, like coming through, where is Ben's center here? And... 
it goes back to me thinking about Sam. Like, I feel like Sam always wanted to travel in time. He was so desperate to do it that he jumped into the accelerator before it was ready because he knew he was going to lose funding. But he was the traveler. Ben wasn't the traveler. He did it for another reason, always intending to come home. And we've discussed this before, but I feel like over the course of this season, I I thought we had seen him get over that. And Dean is bringing back those themes in this episode in a much more cogent way. And I guess maybe because we have the sounding board of Hannah Mm. to bounce it off of, right? And to really put a a bow on it. But there's there's still... There's still this when you talk about that. There's still this tragic element, and I know we we need to dive into the the law stuff of how do they keep connecting. Is that despite the coincidence, so far as far as we know, it is a coincidence. And you talk about oh Ben starting to accept this, and he's starting to get to get ready to 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 lean into his journey he still doesn't know he's ever going to see Hannah again. And I I don't know. I, I, I sense maybe the characters are being more optimistic about that than me. Maybe I should be optimistic about it because, hey, we all know that uh, Eliza Taylor's a regular, so of course she's going to come back. But it just, it, it feels like you know, that at this point, Ben should still be trying to appreciate every moment that he's having with her, assuming that it's going to be the last. And... That tragic element of he cannot have a home while he's leaping from place to place still really coming to the fore there, despite the fact that uh, these two people keep meeting, possibly at random. But as I say, I know that's that's a whole different thing we we can unpack now or or later. But for her saying that maybe I'm your home, she's offering him some sort of a lifeline. And it also, the way it ended, she told him, Promise me you'll find me next time. Don't make me come looking for you anymore. I, I thought that that was kind of a neat thing. I wonder if he's going to be able to do that because it's it's kind of tough. You know, he doesn't know what time he's going to be and he doesn't know if she's alive. If he does find her, will it be before or after? They, You know, where on her timeline is he going to be? I mean, ultimately, all right, well, a couple of thoughts on that because we, we've got this, what, six, seven-year period that, Hannah says, oh yeah, I've I've not spoken to you since the events of Secret History. So she's either lying or things are happening in the same order for her. But aside from that, now we've got Addison on board and and she seems to be accepting what's happening. Hey, you know, even if Ben doesn't end up in the same place as her, at least if he ends up at some point in the last 40, 50 years... Addison can do a bit of research, find out her phone number. They can have a long-distance relationship. He can give her a call and say, hey, I know you're in Texas at the moment. I'm in England at the moment. I'm just going to give you a ring and say hi, how's it been, and then go off on his leap. I sense that wouldn't have much dramatic potential. But in theory, they could keep hooking up remotely. Yeah, and I think it would would have been neat. The only thing that would have made this a little bit neater was for him to say, it's been a couple of days. Uh, I remember when we, we we beat up the Nazis, and she's saying, oh, but what about what about this? And him yes. saying, wait a minute, maybe it hadn't happened for him yet. I was, I'm, I'm sort of waiting for something like that to happen on one of their next meetups, where it'll be out of sync for him, because it's further back in her timeline. Those of us that have appreciated Time Traveler's Wife or... Doctor Who and the River Song arc will recognise that. I guess with Quantum Leap, 
are we on a predestination um, sequence of events where actually if Ben now leaps back to between the events of Secret History and Nomads, could he potentially completely change Hannah's past Hmm. so that she wouldn't say that? And given the fact that Quantum Leap is all about changing the past, yeah, I... Yeah, you're right. It becomes I, I, problematic. I can see that it. Th- yeah. Think. Yeah. I'm. I'm trying to think this through out loud at the moment. I. I could see how things could happen out of order, but we wouldn't end up with a scene like that. Yeah, and I would think that if things did happen out of order, that no matter what, I guess it also maybe deflates some of the tension that would have happened if if it happens out of sequence for Ben, because. Mm. You know by default, since Hannah's fine, that no matter what stakes they give to Hannah in that leap, it's eventually going to turn out fine if you if you take a contiguous timeline that Ben yes. has already changed. You, you know she's going to be around when she's older, but yeah, potentially, yeah, if, if we have a, a, a pre-Nomad's leap, could she be in some danger that would mean she wouldn't be around for Nomad's? And then if that happened... What would happen to nomads? What would happen to Ben's history? It all gets. Oh, I'm. I'm going to need to do another one of my um, right. my timelines, aren't I? <laughs> and the fact that we're wrapping our heads around it and trying to come up with, you and know, it's not even happened. If yeah, I, I I would hope for the sake of the the casual audience out there that the production team continue to do this in chronological order, and this is more of an emotional journey than a timey wimey paradoxy thing. I love that kind of stuff, but I I don't feel that's the story they're trying to tell. Yeah, I can't see the Monday Night at Eight crowd diving into that. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. I I I like the idea of him dipping in and out of her life at points in order. In fact, I, I referenced River Song earlier on. I'm going to do another Doctor Who reference, maybe more of a girl in the fireplace kind of thing, where. The doctor met someone and then just kept meeting her throughout her life, and it was only a, a couple of hours for him. But it's uh, he was he was dropping in, and there was still a lovely emotional journey there, and I could see that working very well here. Okay, we'll call Hannah the girl in the diner. The girl in the diner, because yeah, that's there where we, we saw her first, right? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, I think that. Um, it's a nice way this this burgeoning relationship between the two of them to also highlight some of the themes of destiny because it's as if they're destined to be together and it comes into some of the lore stuff that I know that you had been alluding to but just mm. to stay on on the theme of destiny it really became hammered home to me because it wasn't just Ben talking about it and Hannah talking about it but Lila who is nomad talks about it I had a vision of my future I wanted to change my destiny by taking it into my own hands and it's almost like she's telling Ben hey you have an opportunity here and of course what did I start thinking of I started thinking of mirror image because I'm always thinking of mirror image (laughs) and the bartender saying, you know, are you saying I can leap home anytime I want? Technically, yes. What's the catch? The catch is that you have to accept that you control your own destiny. So, I mean, these are quantum leap themes through and through. Like to me, this is like a foundational ideal and idea of quantum leap. 
So for this episode to dabble so heavily into it, especially when we've been seeing allusions to other aspects of the lore, not just practically in this episode, very practically, but also just thematically and ideas being tossed around. We, we talked to Dean about this a little bit in the interview, and he answers very substantively. So go and listen to that after we're done here. You won't be disappointed. But this whole idea of destiny, maybe that's why I wanted to lead with it, because to me, it ties so much of Ben's journey to where we left off on Sam's journey. And, and at least Layla, she gets her happy ending, right? Because she gets to ride off into the sunset with yeah. La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips, and um, <laughs> go off and start her new life. And Ben is still struggling with the whole idea. Now, I, I know this brings up a lot of sort of the overarching themes of Quantum Leap. And um, I think especially we're talking about some of the more spiritual aspects of the show. And I think that you had been alluding to those before we were talking about some aspects of the lore that we wanted to get into. So do you want to get into a little bit of that? Well, yeah, I mean, this is definitely, you know, again, I know we talk about this in the interview a little bit, but um, this fact that these two people seem to be tied together and it's not, it, it can't be random. It's, it's statistically impossible anymore for it to be random that, uh, that Hannah and Ben keep meeting and it, it's something I'm so glad that they're finally—I say finally—we're eight episodes in, but I'm glad they're, <laughs> they're they're finally they're finally approaching directly because I think a lot of us had those questions. Season one, although to us the leaps were random, we were assured yes, Ben had got it all planned out. So although Ben had amnesia, he knew exactly where he was going to be and when to get him to this slingshot effect around the sun, so he could travel back in time and save the whales. In the new <laughs> in the new season. There's, I'm sorry, I can never do that. Like, I can't talk about the slingshot effect without thinking of that. Um, but since then, what's controlling the leaps and why? Uh, okay, fine, maybe it's like the the original series. GTFW is controlling the leaps now, and he's just going wherever's interesting. Well, okay, but that's not modern TV. There still needs to be some kind of reason and some kind of arc. And I think there's more to it that we just don't know yet. And Hannah's somehow tied up in that. And this maybe speaks a little bit to what disappointed me and shouldn't have done hmm. about this episode, because I was expecting, A, some kind of either big conclusion or big pivot to the evil chip plotline and everything that's going on in the present day, and B, some more direct answers to why Ben was leaping uh, and and what's going on this season despite the fact that it's been very clear that actually the arc of this season is not a technological arc or a mystery box arc or anything like that it is it's an emotional arc for Ben for Addison for for everyone involved and that's why I I said very clearly this is a map problem because I think Dean and and the crew have been very clear we are going on an emotional journey this season, and Nomads is a perfect pivot point for that emotional journey. But um, what I got in there initially expecting was some stuff that was a bit more direct, and it does deliver that. And you, it's that wonderful moment where Addison steps out of the imaging chamber and basically says, you know, Ziggy's basically a big 
AI fanfic writer that's shipping these guys, and that's why she keeps putting them together. I know why the accelerator keeps putting them together. They're in love. But there's there's something there's something going on there, and we don't we don't know what. And will we ever discover what? Maybe it doesn't matter. But certainly at this point in the season, it's it's too early for us to know that, and it shouldn't be a problem. And that's why I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. I hear you. So, like, I guess for me, all of that chip stuff and how all of this is going to come together, like, when are the puzzle pieces going to going to snap mm. into place, right? I know it's going to happen. I'm waiting for the Hannah reveal. How does it relate to the mystery chip? How does Tom fit into it all? What ultimately is going to be their fate? Is it going to wind back in on itself? I'm jazzed for all of that. I want to see the bigger picture, but... I'm in a place now where I'm enjoying the character work so much that I can yeah. wait. I, I, it's not that I exactly. don't care. It's that it's not frustrating me to not know yet because it's just not time in the overall story cycle for those moments. I feel like we're still mining some really good emotional ground here. And uh, the fact that we are touching upon other things like the possibility of GTFW or some kind of benevolent guiding force, that's enough to sustain me because I'm more interested in those questions anyway than I am of, say, like the denouement of how the chip came to be and is Hannah behind it, is Lothos behind mm. it, who's doing <laughs> what. Um I much prefer Jen in the control room speculating, well, obviously the accelerator put them together because it's a double leap. He needs somebody else on this mission. So, I mean, that to me speaks of them all of a sudden being very, very comfortable with the idea of direct intervention and some force helping Ben achieve his ends. That, that's a complete sea change from the original parameters of the project as they knew it. Yeah. So it's like, 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 I'd like, I'd, yeah, you, you, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a sea change that I think reflects behind the scenes as well, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's the way the project was set up and the way the show was set up. It's shifted in universe and out of universe for very similar reasons. And I've got to say to your point about the, this, this will sustain me. When I reflected on my initial thoughts behind this episode, I realised actually, although I do expect some kind of solid conclusion, I don't feel I need one if we don't get anything. And this just ends with, you know, the universe thinks Ben and Hannah should be together. Just like the universe thought that uh, Sam needed a, a break in Temptation Eyes and needed a holiday. That's fine. I'm actually cool with that. I don't think that's where this is going. I suspect there is going to be more to it, but I was I was initially disappointed that that didn't happen in Nomads, questioned myself about it and then realized that no, you know what? I'm I'm happy going along for the ride because this is a, a really good emotional journey and the ending does not have to be Ah, well, okay, it's because uh, old Hannah invented the chip and, and she's doing this to coordinate it so they're together and whatever, whatever. It's uh, However it ends, I'm sure it'll be good. It's not necessarily important to me anymore. 
Yeah, and I think that that also might be a benefit of our experience of being Legacy Series fans because it was never an issue in in, in Sam's reality. It's just like we kind of took it for granted that it was GTF dubs, but that was a good enough explanation to say this is why maybe something is happening. Now let's focus on the emotional journey of these characters. And to me, this is perfectly in tune with that sensibility. I think I just got I got very wrapped up in the season one beats where by this point in the show, oh, we kind of knew what was happening. And it and it, it, it wasn't long after this that we found out about Martinez and we spent a good chunk of the second half of the season knowing exactly what was happening and why. And it was just all about, all right, how was this going to tie up? And I expected a carbon copy of that for this season. And that's... That's, that's not happened, but I should never have expected that. So, Well, I feel like there are elements that carry on, though. And again, I harp on the accelerator as GTFW all the time, but I feel like it was Martinez who actually asked Ben in uh, Judgment Day, do you really think the accelerator is on your side? It's like they mm. that's when they start to attribute some kind of, uh, what, consciousness or uh, okay. agency to the accelerator. So the accelerator to me is steadily becoming the stand-in because Ziggy as a character has been somewhat sidelined and Ziggy never served that function anyway. Ziggy was just one big numbers crunchers, Al, I'm getting my But even Ziggy was outside of that equation. So I, I feel like if you're going to name something at the project, the accelerator is as good of a uh, MacGuffin as any. Yes. But yeah. But again, to me, like that's all besides the point. It's just another way of them saying stuff that Quantum Leap was built upon. So I'm translating it as an old school fan in the way that I see fit. And that if someone who is a viewer of the new series and exclusively a fan of the revival, it gives them new lore to latch on to. But mm. it all fits. It all fits to me. So yeah. So that's that's what I like about it now. But you you were talking about um, just now, and I, I think that this is where you came into the episode. Um, some of Addison's reaction, and, and you saw this more as an Addison focused episode to begin with. I mean that 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 was the lens that I I I watched it through, and clearly there's a lot of Ben and Hannah stuff going on, and I'm not trying to detract from that. But yeah, I, I think the power of that opening scene in the kitchen seeing that relationship he had with tom and it it was so lovely seeing them away from project hq and away from a military training facility and actually seeing them just doing couple stuff that was nice i like that but seeing her discover the ring and um i mean on honestly you you kind of know if you're fairly tv literate that she's going to find the ring and eventually she's going to think that he's about to propose and he's not. There's the, that whole arc was within the episode was going to happen. But her reaction to that and how that then fed into her reaction to Ben and Hannah, I just found really interesting. I thought Caitlin played it really well. Dean wrote it really well. That was the focus for my attention throughout the episode. Well, then you must have had a very good viewing experience in in that respect, because I thought that that was one of the strongest parts of the episode was sort of Addison's through line through all of this. And just to step back to what you said, I guess I don't watch enough rom-coms because I was completely (laughs) thrown for a loop when he didn't propose at the end. (laughs) Yeah, at at the end, especially when he walked over to the the counter and you think, okay, well, that's, that's where the ring is. And she takes a deep breath and it's, oh, it's so exciting. 
all I was thinking was, what's this going to be that's not the ring? It's I, that my mind was going at a million miles now. What is he going to pull out that isn't a ring? Now, I probably had a million things I thought of in that half second. Uh, a, a fragment of a hard drive. Whoa, that was a shock. Oh yeah, I, well, we I, got we got more to. That's like a whole episode oh, yeah, yeah, itself no, that we got to. I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I just, I just have have to be really clear about that because it sounds like I was dunking on it for being predictable. I don't think it was predictable. I just felt that to me at least, it was obvious he wasn't going to propose this episode. I hope it comes. Uh, it was obvious he wasn't going to propose, but that didn't spoil the ending for me. But yes, I know we'll, we'll, we can put a pin in talking about the hard drive for now. Yeah, let's let's do that because I want to stick with Addison because you're right. I think yes, Caitlin did yeah. an amazing job in this episode, and yes. um, it was as much about her journey and her journey of acceptance as it was about Ben's journey. And you could see it in the beginning when they're on the Giza plateau. They're both so jazzed to be in <laughs> Egypt, and yeah. you know she's this is the first time you left out of the country, and he's like, "Well, no, not really, but you you thought we're all dead." And then he says something. Uh, he's like, "But maybe this is a reward because we got the band back together." And she mm. looks at him like wistfully because they're finally back to being them, and now the guilt is starting to set in. And to that to that point, um, this is not not at that same point in the episode, but just in terms of that that reconnection, we have seen several times in in the series so far that moment where they try and physically connect and can't. And I love the fact that they replay that with the with his and her hand passing through each other, but it means something completely different. And I welled up a little bit at that point, just seeing, oh, they're, they're trying to hold hands as friends. Yeah. This is no longer romantic holding hands. This is this is a friendship that they're trying to have and still can't quite get, but it's back. This one was so much more effective because this one yes. has been earned. This one is hard earned. And when they did it in the pilot episode, I was just like, okay, I understand why they're doing it. But I don't know these characters. Quite frankly, I don't care if they're together. Yeah. Because I, I had no idea who they were, but we were being told that they were together so we should care about it. And I was just like, all right, I get it. But in this one, when they're trying to hold hands, we now are so invested in them. And yeah. where they've been this season, they've been through hell and back together emotionally, that this felt like so much more of, I don't know about a gut punch, but it was more wistful, I guess. Yeah. It was more like, this really is, you know, shitty, too bad. Oh, too mm. bad. What really crystallized Addison's journey for me in this one was when she was talking to Magic. I do. <laughs> I want to be happy. I, mm, I am happy. I just miss Ben. And I don't I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. The memory of everything they did have is crashing down on her again. The anger is gone. The emotion is at bay right now. And it's just like she's finally got him back, but they're in two completely different places. And she has to accept that as well. And I think that's, you know, magic comes in for his for his three second soliloquy, drops the mic and walks out again. <laughs> it's getting to back to busting some ghosts. Yep, yeah. Go back back to cold ghostbusters. He's got a lot of got a lot of work to do over there. But uh <laughs> I mean, it was a wonderful showpiece for Caitlin. And yes. um I'm glad that you were able to to focus on that because I quite frankly didn't see any of those aspects until my second viewing. So it shows you it shows you where we were both yeah. primed when when we came into this one, you know? Yeah. If I was here to save her, why haven't I leaped? Because you didn't save her. 
Success has nothing to do with leaping. Now, you know that. One of the bigger callbacks to actual lore was Ben thinking that he was stuck. I don't know what happens now. I know I don't leap, but I just don't know what happens. I mean, first of all, let's just say I did not expect that masterful turn. Oh, yes. When they thought that Layla was dead. I really thought she was dead. I thought she was gone and that Ben had failed. Yeah, yeah. I thought the same. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it does harken back to something that was spoken about a couple of times in the original series. And we have debated on the show and in fandom for years, what happens if he fails? We, we just don't know. Is, is he stuck there forever? So I have a couple of questions about this, and maybe it also ties into sort of the bigger picture with the fragment of a hard drive of, of, of a DARPA, of a, you know. Um, the fact that they're all thinking that leaping is predicated on success. Where are the archives from the original Project Quantum Leap? What do they know? at this new project of Sam's Adventures. And I'll call back to an episode in the first season when Ian found a fragment of a redacted document or something yes. like that that mentioned evil leapers. How do they not know chapter and verse everything that happened in the original series? How were they briefed? How was this project built? I'm so confused and curious to know where the line is for them is it something that they don't need to know it was just like we're going to delve into the science and we have a mandate from this government agency and that's all they know they just know sam's work not sam's adventures i i'm, I'm trying to figure out wh where the line is there yeah I, I i think it's very unclear and i'm fairly sure it's going to be one of those things that uh, depends very much on the the needs of the plot week to week when it comes to success and leaping it was not 100% consistent in the original series so anything they found yeah could have said either also and I, I go back to the point I made earlier that the whole first season was based around Ben having pre-programmed some leaps which is a whole different ball game to what the original series ever had so even if we establish that the original series 100% which wasn't the case but if even if we establish 100% success was a prerequisite to leap who knows what Ben actually programmed in and are we still seeing the remnants of that programming in whatever's happening in season two hmm. so I, I think it, it kind of goes back to a lot of the the stuff when we talk about well, why isn't there a waiting room why isn't there this why isn't there that does it matter how much of the original series they know about when potentially, to quote Ian, everything's changed. Sure. I mean, yeah. That's the all, yeah, valid, fair points there. But then if you want to be nitpicky, you can say, well, then if Ben can control the coding and the programming to the point where he makes it so that he has to succeed in order to leap to the next point in the timeline to thwart Addison's eventual demise, right? Um couldn't he also then just program the accelerator to, if he fails, leap him back to the beginning of a leap into a different person and try something again? Or, I mean, if you go down that rabbit hole of, well, maybe he built it this way, then you can just start extrapolating as to saying, well, then why isn't it built this way or why isn't it built that way? And yes, I, I feel like we then we get besides the point of that central question of, is leaping, I guess, for Ben predicated on success or is that something that 
they only suspect because that's what they were told about the original project Quantum Leap. Were they told that as a lie by somebody who wanted to put the screws to them and say, you better succeed at all costs because we have a lot riding on this. And maybe that was one of the parameters of the original Project Quantum Leap 2.0 when Addison was going to be the hologram, more of a military bent, more of, of a mission-focused bent. Yeah. You know, again, you, you can extrapolate the other way too. You're exploding all kinds of new series lore here. <laughs> I mean, it's I all, it. it's all, it's all spitballing. It's all spitballing. Nah. I guess you know, I, I, I have a few books of uh, the new series in me. I'm guessing uh, <laughs> until they actually put all the stuff down on screen, just saying no, it was just completely random happenstance. Too bad. And let's hope they never do. I, I love it to be like the original series, where thirty years from now we're still arguing about it. God, yeah, but see, but. And this is where it kind of it cements in my brain that they know nothing of the original project, um, because if they had had project records, they would know the Gonzo leap that, you know, sent Alan to a tailspin for the final 20 years that he worked on the project before he had to give it up because everybody seems to know about that. But for Caitlin to say when Ben gets stuck and they think that he's going to live out the rest of his life with Hannah in Egypt or wherever as this guy, um, his last name is Allison. Isn't that funny? The leapy is Michael <laughs> Allison. If they think that he's going to live out his life as Michael Allison, Addison says, Maybe this is how it ended for Sam. Don't they know how it ended for Sam? Don't they know that all of a Whoa. sudden there was there was no there was no visitor in the waiting room and that Al went to this weird bar that wasn't a bar in this weird town that didn't honor daylight savings time and but, he was sleeping as but, himself and there was dead Russian miners. <laughs> I mean, but what happened after that? So Sam leaped out. They don't know where he leaped to. Potentially, he could have leaped to somewhere where he had a failed mission. Potentially. I don't think that's what any of us think, but they could assume that. I don't know. It just seems odd to me based on the ambiguity of the final leap that we saw, Sam's final leap that we saw. Yes. That they would think that he would be somewhere in a quiet corner of history living out his life as a, a former leapy. I, I just – I don't know that I buy that. From their point of view, he should have been from Elvis to weirdness to what the fuck. Yeah. It's an interesting question. It's one maybe we should pin Dean down uh, one time, but maybe not get him on the record about it because <laughs> – yeah. Or at least talk to him about episode, after episode 13. There might be more he can share after that. Yeah, or maybe the question will be answered and or blown out of the water by that point. Because yes. based on everything everybody's telling us, this season is going to end in ways that are going to blow our minds. So Yes. Yeah, so maybe this will be part and parcel of all of that. And turn the show on its head again for season three, <laughs> which I'm fine with. I'm fine with it. That's what I'm saying. Maybe that's another reason why like the whole evil chip thing and where does Hannah fit into it doesn't bother me right now because I keep getting assurance after assurance from everybody involved that it is going someplace big yeah. and I'm content to wait again because, and I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, but I'm just really happy at where we are right now with the characters yeah. and I'm happy to revel in that for the time being. And I'm also confident that this is 21st century television. They will wrap things up somewhat definitively Yes, because that's yeah. just sort of the nature of the way things are now. So we're going to get some kind of ending period. Mm. Yeah. Whether it's one that we're happy with, it's not going to be left up in the air like the original series was. So, 
you know, but again, that's not to say your your foiled uh, wedding ring plot uh, feeds into all of that intrigue and all of that plot stuff and all those story mechanics. And I mean, it also... I can't help but think of of the Legacy series when you find a fragment of a hard drive of a discontinued DARPA project. Yeah, Lothos. I, I'm, well, you're going to say Lothos. I'm thinking, what is the genesis of that? I'm thinking Starlight Starbright. Yes. And again, is that too deep a cut? For anybody who might be watching who doesn't know you know, the original, especially like the intricacies and the nonsense of season five. I mean, where do, where do you go? Although they did call it, they did, they did name drop Evil Leapers. So I, you know, I don't know if right. there's a line for them. I, <laughs> so, okay, to put this in context, it's Sunday night, 10th of December. Last night, Doctor Who fans sat down and watched the sequel to a story from 1965 that is mostly uh, was mostly destroyed uh, so no one's seen it since it was first broadcast and we had a sequel and you know what they did they just introduced a cool villain and at one point it had a literal two second flashback to some colorized material from the William Hartnell era and that was fine and I, I've been speaking to casual fans about this. Not a single person has said, "Who's the toy maker? Why is why is there a toy? What's what's this? What's this all about?" I think if the writers do their job right, the fans will love it. The people who haven't seen the original series or don't recall it aren't going to care. They'll just say, "Okay, there's another project out there to with some kind of evil machinations to build another accelerator." Cool. All right, it's called Lothos. All right, that's fine. I'll go. I'll roll with that. And and the fans will squee, and the, the casuals will just get it. Aren't we always squeeing in one way or oh, another? Yes, yes yeah. of course. So yeah, I I think anything's possible. I wouldn't rule out deep cuts because of the the quality of the writers. Lesser writers would have to avoid that kind of thing, but the the writers on this show are really good and and could get away with doing that in a way that remains accessible. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't know how deeply you want to go into discussions about like speculations of what this DARPA project might be, but for those of you, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it this way. Um, this is what I'll recommend. Instead of Matt and I discussing what it might be, <laughs> why don't we, if you have no idea what we're talking about, go back to the original series and watch the season five episodes, Deliver Us From Evil, Starlight, Star Bright, Return of the Evil Leaper, Revenge of the Evil Leaper. I think that those four would give you a good headspace of where we think some of this stuff starts to tie in. Do you agree with me on that, Matt? Yeah, and I think if you're if you're really into the season five stuff and you want a bonus there, Kill in Time. And I only mentioned Kill in Time because Carol Davis in her book Mirror's Edge includes that in the fan theory of how everything ties together oh and then i guess then we have to tell you to read mirror's edge yeah so. but that's, that's that's a chunky old book <laughs> and it's it costs like a hundred quid when it shows up on ebay so good luck with that one we'll be um, doing we'll be doing our review of that at some point yeah. in the next year yeah. or so so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think the, the the episode names that Chris mentioned are the ones, and I, I would say Killing Time as a possible extra credit. I feel like maybe we're being disingenuous to longtime fans by not giving the spoiler-filled mm. 
speculations because it is from a show that went off the air 30 years ago. But I have a feeling that if you heard me and you're a longtime fan and you heard me mention those five episodes and that book oh. or whatever, you already know what we're going <laughs> to we talk don't, about. We don't it's need just, to go into at the, it. Yeah, at this point, the, the conversation is academic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? This is basically what we're saying here is the exact flip of what I would expect from the writers in the show. We are giving some subtle hints that mean nothing to the new viewers, but everything to the original viewers, and I would expect the the writers to do the exact opposite. Just just throw in some exposition that explains it without making you feel like you've missed something. And that, that's exactly what we, we've just done the, the the complete polar opposite. Yeah. All right. So I think then that's enough said on that. And you know what? If it turns out that we're completely wrong and we're just completely fanboying all over the place because I still won't be disappointed because I've been trusting this writing team more and more this season. So. I'm keeping an eye on Caroline Seymour's movements. That's my current hobby. <laughs> just, just, just saying. <laughs> just, just in case. You don't think Renee Coleman's coming back? R- Renee Coleman seems to be retired from acting. That, she, she is. That, yeah. So, hmm. go back and listen to our episode for uh, "Deliver Us from Evil" or "Return Revenge." I actually got her on the phone. You lucky dog. And she was very nice. And she's just like, I honestly don't know what I'd talk to you about. It was so long ago. I'm not acting anymore. Just, you know, have a nice day. And I'm like, thanks, Aaliyah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So anyway, um, let's go. Hey, Nomad. Nomads. Whichever one you prefer. I prefer Nomad because I think of Star Trek. Nomad. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I think that... We have one aspect here that we haven't discussed that is completely different from Sam's Leaps. And uh, you're laughing at me. Go ahead, laugh at me. What do you think it is? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at your show notes, so I, I'm, I'm really hoping it's the, the, the thing that you put in bullet point that we haven't spoken about. And I'm hoping you use the exact words now that's in your notes. Oh, no, no. So you might be looking, are you looking under the lore section or the actual, the main Oh, the lore, the lore section. Oh, no, we'll talk about the lore one. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm talking about... Um, Ben saving Nomad, Ben saving Layla here, has a, a huge, enormous worldwide ramifications. Mm, yeah. You know, this is not just some small leap. This is when Al was tasked by that committee to get some real world evidence yes. of Sam's changing history, even though they have no idea how time travel works and they wouldn't notice a difference because it will always have been their reality. But that's besides the point. What can you expect from a bunch of nozzles in Washington, D.C.? Am I right? Yeah. We have been literally changing the landscape of like the espionage game for the latter half of the 20th century. Looks like Layla Adele was instrumental in dismantling the Soviet spy network in the Middle East. Not bad for a few days' work. How is that not something that's going to change the world entirely? I I mean, yeah, I guess they're just going to have to not really step outside headquarters too much, (laughs) figuratively or literally. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's big. Is it always the timeline that they've lived in? Is it always the timeline? It's like, well, you know, you didn't know this, but in the original history, Jackie was killed too. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. So we've always been living in Sam's timeline. So how does Quantum Leap want it? Do they want a history that's malleable that we can change? Or do they want a history that all fits together like a giant puzzle in the end? Yes. And and pushing to the Jackie comparison. Yeah, obviously we we have been living in Sam's timeline all along, but this this suggests that yeah, the timeline can be pushed outside 
the one that we live in, which then gives us a a timeless type approach, which I know again is a is a parallel that I've pulled many times since I finally got on board the the timeless bus in the last year or so. Oh, you won't stop talking about Timeless. You love Timeless. This is yeah, like the eighth time you've referenced the I know, show. I know. I can't stop. But also, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I, don't, I don't I don't know if I want to see a quantum leap where they start changing the political landscape to the point where it's not recognizable to the one that I see when I look out the window every day. Oh, yeah. And I don't I don't believe that we're going to see that on the show, like no, in any way. I think they just will, <laughs> will make sure that they never mention this again. But they can't get away with doing that too many times because they, they change too much stuff and they, there's, there's too many things that are now off the table. There's a load of stuff they cannot touch now for the rest of the series in present day. And it's fine because they don't spend that much time in present day. But can they get away with continuing to effectively embargo their own timeline? I don't know. That's tricky. Yeah, I don't even know if I see it that way. I guess where the difference is for me, and maybe we got a hint of this in in Atlantis, when Ben was on the shuttle with uh, Samantha Stratton. Mm -hmm. If Sam hadn't been there to save Peg, Samantha never would have been born. That shuttle mission would have gone differently, and it maybe would have negated a need for Ben to even be there. So... I guess the point is you never know what permutation the timeline will take on no matter who you save because that life touched others and those lives still others. And Very nice. the bartender well said, you, you have no idea how much good you've done, Sam Beckett. I mean, but you also have no idea what you might have wrought because it's that butterfly effect again, to mm. quote Jen. The butterfly effect to end all butterfly effects. Thank you, Jen, team Jen. If you go down that rabbit hole of saying this event is too big, but this one is just, it's just right, the Goldilocks syndrome, mm. then it makes really no logical sense. Big or small, a change is a change. And every change has the potentiality of something amazing or something catastrophic, oftentimes multiple incarnations of both. That's the way I'd like to look at it, especially if you're talking about a malleable timeline as Quantum Leap presents to us. So is there any change that's too big? Apparently, Ben took us away from nuclear winter at the end of the last season. So maybe those considerations are, are a little bit removed now. Like we, we're we're not so worried about the big versus small. Yeah, true. Okay. Uh, uh. Anyway. See, I'm too wrapped up. I'm too wrapped up. I got to start seeing this series as its own thing. I think I'm doing pretty good at that, but I, I yeah. will always I will always tie it to the original quantum. Can, can we talk of your your <laughs> concerns about the imaging chamber? Can you can you just share that, please? It's not the imaging chamber. It's the imager. The image. The imager. Sorry. Yes. 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 The imager. And this, I think, is the first time they they mentioned it. They gave it a name in this. So mm. you know how when they're back at uh, the project and they're watching Ben's adventures cut together like a 42 minute network drama whenever he's out there doing his leaps he's always right there on a screen and it occurred to me what do they do when he's sleeping what do they do if he's pooing like (laughs) that's been bothering me since the original (laughs) series al can see everything that sam gets up to possibly the rest of the project can as well as kind of a a little bit vague the novels are inconsistent about that but ben clearly has no privacy yeah, I feel like there's some kind of temporal camera pointed at Ben. I feel like they only got a glimpse into what Sam was experiencing when Al was in there physically, and then they could fix on Sam. But the second Al is out of the imaging chamber, 
then that connection is effectively cut off because it's predicated by the neurons and mesons and the connection with Ziggy and all that stuff. So how can you gaze in without the observer there? He is the observer. He's the instrument of observation. Now the accelerator is the observer. Yes. But still, how many times did Al, off, off screen, we obviously never saw this, but how many times did Al open the imaging chamber door and see that Sam was taking a crap? And say, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll come back in five. It, it probably happened. It probably happened many times. I mean, yeah. think about it. But I, it, So this is what I wrote on, on the rundown, because this was brought up immediately before Ben and Hannah were going to bang. And she stops and she's like, Worried he's watching? No. Yeah. Turn the imager off once they know I'm safe and things are calm. Well, that sounds promising. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wrote in our lore section, because we have a lore section of our rundown of what's new in the lore, like how this is how the project works. And I wrote, they can turn imager off when Ben wants to f*** or poo. So, yeah. I mean, but that's good for Ben, right? <laughs> I, I'm surprised Ben didn't build in some kind of code word that he could use. The, the, rather than just relying on the team not to go, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep an eye on this. Hey, you know what? No, Ben, as the initial programmer with his girlfriend as the leaper, probably was just like, there ain't going to be no code word. She's going to be <laughs> eyes on 24-7. I don't know what she wants to get up to in the past, True. but it ain't going to happen. So maybe he True. was maybe he was like a possessive dick. Who knows? Yeah. Now it's come back to bite <laughs> him in the ass. But no, apparently they can turn off uh, the, the temporal cameras and give Ben some privacy and some peace. So, yeah, I guess that's something that we've learned. I still want to know how that entire thing works. Even Addison standing in the waiting room, it doesn't seem like there's any hologram in there and they can still watch everything going on on the leap. We have to track that, actually. Did you track that in your book as to was there ever a scene when everybody was in the control room watching the monitor and action unfold without a hologram being in there? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So how does that work again? New project, new build, new headcanon. We have to figure it all out. We got to figure it all out. We we know it's not a neurons and mesons thing because everyone can just pop into the, the imaging chamber now, which I like, I approve of. But uh, yeah, it means I don't think we need to worry about that anymore. It is some kind of temporal camera. Ni- nicely editing everything together. It's not a neuron and mason thing. It's an Enrissa and mason and mason thing. thing. But yeah. I'm pumped. No, thank you for finishing that. I I thought of the Mason half of the pun, couldn't figure out the rest of it, and thought I'll just leave that. Yeah, the only the only N I could think of was Nan. So, yeah, no, that's that's fine. That works. All right, all right, all right, all right. We're Bravo. getting silly. Bad humor. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you would know you're the dad around here, uh, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to ask you. I think I've I've said pretty much all I have to say about Nomad slash Mads. Uh, do you want to get into some final thoughts? Yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I, I love this episode. It's a really strong one. These last eight episodes have been so different to each other. It's really hard to choose favourites or to say this is the best one. It's just it's another strong one in a really strong run of eight. And it perfectly ramps up the emotional arc while still teasing at some some behind the scenes mystery boxy kind of stuff that's that's going to be happening in the back half of the season great performances from everyone fabulous cinematography 
really so good. I know we talked about that at the top of the show, but I I, I just just want to emphasize again that they made the most of going to Egypt and um, beautiful looking episode. Yeah, really, really high one to end the mid-season on. What a wait we're going to have for the next couple of months. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be um, torturous because like you, I just loved just about everything about this episode. It answered many questions for me. It was a terrific place to leave the characters emotionally. And it started um, me asking many different questions about the way this series works compared to the legacy series, all in good ways, all in like, again, those, those lovely Chris connection ways that, that my fan brain just thrives upon. And on top of that, we're getting again, a much broader feeling sense of, uh, adventure on the leaps. I, I dubbed this one, uh, Ben song, international man of mystery. I mm-hmm. love the, f- just the big feeling that we're getting bigger, bolder, more adventurous types of stories. And, And um, at the same time, in the midst of all of that, keeping the show focused on the characters and making the character work drive the story and the journey as much as the leaps are, even more so in most cases. It's such a complete change from season one. To me, this is such good storytelling uh, wrapped up in an entertaining, adventurous package. And um, I'm just loving everything about it. It is going to be tough to wait for the back five whenever they come, but I'm just glad that they're coming. And I I think that this is setting us up for five terrific episodes to go out on. So bravo to Nomad, bravo to the first eight of this, this second season. It's everything I was hoping that the revival series would be before I knew what the revival series would be. So thank you everyone involved. (laughs) And I think uh, that closes the book on our discussion of Nomad slash nomads but stay tuned because when we come back we will have that gonzo interview with the cast of quantum leap along with our interview with executive producer dean georgiaris stay tuned the qlp is brought to you by listeners like you please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can for as little as a dollar a month you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. I'm Jethro. And I'm Matt. And we're the co-hosts of the Drunkard's Walk podcast. Do you know what the St. Pancras Railway Station, Hydrox Cookies, and the Ragamuffin Cat all have in common? They're all pages on Wikipedia. And on Drunkard's Walk, we go from one random Wikipedia page to another only through the internal links of Wikipedia. That's right. And we get those destination pages from guests that come on the show that we talk to and find out why they give us those pages. And there's a little drinking and a lot of arguing. So check out Drunkard's Walk wherever you find your podcasts. This is Mason Alexander Park, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hey, you know, we completely forgot to touch upon the fact that Lou Diamond Phillips was in this episode. (gasps) How did we miss that? Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, you know, he was all right. You know, I mean, he's not a uh, Hollywood legend or anything like that. But uh, yeah, it's funny because, yeah, I was talking to Albie about it. Um, We were doing uh, another special for the YouTube channel. It was a celebration. They got the 2,000 subscribers over on uh, the Quantum Leap Podcast YouTube channel. So we were talking about it, and we were just talking about this episode as well. And he had realized, actually, it was Serenity that realized that there's a song that plays in this that plays in La Bamba. 
Mm-hmm. It's a song called Sleepwalk by Santo and Johnny. And you'll know it'll be here. It's like a guitar piece. And they play it in the hotel before Ben and Hannah go at it. And it turns out that it was also a piece playing during the funeral procession of Richie Valens in the La Bamba movie that Lou Diamond Phillips starred in. So uh, I don't know if that Very was an cool. intentional, yeah, intentional thing, but Albie spotted it. Actually, Rennie spotted it. So good on you, Rennie. Nice. Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I guess maybe we were a little bit remiss. Lou Diamond Phillips was fantastic in this. And mm-hmm. Azita Ganazada, I think I'm saying that right, as Layla, as Nomad, she was terrific. As one of the two nomads in the show yeah there were yeah. Two, there, there was more than one nomad which is generally how plurals work uh, but she was fantastic <laughs> her code maiden was nomad not nomads yes and ben is also a nomad anyway yeah sorry i'm distracting because yeah she was she was really really good i don't think i've seen her in anything else um but she, she's such a strong actress I, I, I feel like i i need to find something else that she's been in It's funny because usually at this point in the episode, we'd be introducing the first of probably many interviews with the guest cast, the guest stars, someone like Azita, someone like Lou Diamond Phillips. But sorry, guys, we're going to have to disappoint you because the (laughs) only thing we have to give you is a roundtable discussion with Raymond Lee, Caitlin Bassett, Nan Lee, and Mason Alexander Park. I know, I know, but it's okay. Albie's in there too. Okay, good, good. You get to hear from Albie. So guys, 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 you listening out there, hang on to something, sit down, because this shit's going to get wild. Here is our (laughs) interview with Ray, Kate, Nan, and Mason. Hello, Leapers. This is Chris, and I'm here with Matt and Albie, and we are thrilled to bring you Three very special guests today. Joining us on the Quantum Leap podcast are Raymond Lee, Caitlin Bassett, and Nanrissa Lee. Guys, welcome back to the Quantum Leap podcast. I don't think we've had all of you on since, I think, the premiere of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good it's to be back. It's been a while. So. Yeah, it certainly has, but uh, it's a long time uh, overdue. We're we're happy to have you back. And, uh, you know, so much has gone on since we talked to you last. We had the whole first season um, played out, and uh, we saw the denouement of that. And then we started the second season on some shaky footing with, with the writer strike and the actor strike. So um, I, I want to talk about so much, but uh, I, I think that um, – Maybe we just start sort of at the beginning. Um, since the end of season one, season two has been a really different kind of show. So I, I just want to ask a question to the group. Uh, and maybe we begin with Ray. It's going to be two parts. And if you guys can all answer this, I mean, since season two is so different from season one, uh, what aspects of this new season have you enjoyed the most regarding your character? And what aspects have you found uh, the most surprising or challenging? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's what you said. It, uh, it's about the character. Um, and I mean, for me personally, I, I really enjoy character work and character based stories above anything else. And, uh, when the plot can supplement that, it, it gets even better. But I love that we're just going into what makes us tick and what makes us, um, in survival circumstances, what, makes us weak and what makes us strong and how we can use each other in different ways and how we can lean on the dynamics of each relationship to pull us through the situations that we're going to be in. Because at this point now, 
our audience knows that every episode is going to be a new leap. But the challenging part is how we can layer in a serialized relationship-based story. And this second season, I think our writers really took the time to look at our characters and develop it and flesh it out and put us in even more outrageous circumstances to see how we can keep our head above water. And I think the most surprising part is seeing how these stories uh, continue to be revealed to us. Um, you know, it's it was already exciting in the first season to see every episode that would fall into our inbox and be like, wow. But now with, you know, especially with our two series regulars added to the mix, it's uh, there's just a, a whole new dimension of dynamics that we can play. And it's looking through a prism from a different angle now. And it's really nice, the 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 shades that we get to layer in. That's great. Kate, how about you? I mean, the time off was nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it, I mean, I, I, my favorite part is might be a weird answer, but it's, it's, we get a little less of me and a little more of, of Nanrissa and Ernie and, and Mason. I think this shows strength. I've said this before, but this show's strength is in its ensemble cast. That's what makes it truly different. Aside from the fact that, you know, we're, we're we've moved forward in technology um, is what makes this a, a different show makes this our version of this. And, and I think it's nice when, the, when the audience starts to have shorthand relationships with these characters, you're like, Ooh, it's a legal issue. Or there's a secure, like, that's going to be Jen. She's going to crush that. You know what I mean? And, and, oh, or like we got some like nerd stuff, like that's probably going to be Mason today, you know? And like, oh, there's something military, like Addison's, that's probably her bag. So I like that. And I'm very excited for that to continue um, because it, it just allows more space for, for story, which I think is, is, is something that we need to lean into more um, when, when it comes to our main cast. And Nanrissa. I think the advantage that we had to season two was rolling right in from one because by then I feel like we had really hit a stride. But talking with Martin and Dean right before we started season two, they told us that they were going to be focusing more on relationships and sort of what was going on. Of course, bringing in um, Peter and Eliza um, with, you know, our mains with, with, Rhett, with Ben and with Addison. But, um, but I think it was really, it, 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 we all had such a good time because I think coming in, in and out of the imaging chamber, taking turns, you know, being holograms, it, I, it felt like what Caitlin said, we were really able to sort of like start to define out like what each of the team members bring to the table as our own personal strengths and being able to help Ben on the leap sort of uh, bringing a different perspective because obviously we are all quite different. Um, and so I think that was really exciting. Uh, hopefully there's a, a bit more of that. Um, I'll always take any chance to, to, to leave headquarters. I love headquarters, but <laughs> sometimes I call it the cave. I'm like, Oh God, they let me out of the cave today. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> but like, and come and shoot with Ray and meet the guests. And um, that's always fun because uh, it was something that, that we didn't really get to do very much during season one. So it's been a great time. I'm intrigued. You, you've all mentioned the ensemble uh, piece, and a couple of you have mentioned the 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 additional uh, actors that have been added to that ensemble this year. Obviously, you guys have been together since the start, very tight knit group. 
and you're used to bringing in new guest characters every week. But how did that differ bringing in Peter and Eliza as new regulars? How did that how did that change the dynamic for you behind the scenes? Um, behind the scenes, I was it was great to just have essentially um, a recurring physical person in my reality, um, somebody that could be um, sharing a continued storyline with and talk about how we can build this um, and how we can, you know, slow burn some things too. Um, and, you know, there, Peter and Eliza are, are both seasoned vets and they know how to play out a storyline best to um, create the best. So basically like when you have a, like a one episode guest star, you're really trying to squeeze in an arc really quickly. Right. I mean, and, for the top of top of show guests, they have a pretty great journey ahead of them. Um, but it is retained within, you know, what, eight scenes or something like that. And you have to really flesh out an arc, but to know the trajectory of a six, seven episode arc is very different for an actor to navigate. And the fact that you can have those conversations knowing where we should end up, um, is really exciting. And those, that's a conversation that I didn't get to have in season one with our guest stars. And so, um, behind the scenes, that, that stuff is really exciting to ex excavate with seasoned actors. Have you had that discussion with both Eliza and with Peter? Because I know you're dealing more with the Ben Hanna stuff primarily, but you did get to do that one episode with Peter. I thought you guys were great together. Yeah, thanks. I, I loved working with Peter. Um, and it's a side of Ben that you don't get to see, which is a jealous Ben, a Ben that is um, just a little bit, uh, there's resentment there, there's a little bit of anger there, but it's generally just like, you know, you're, you're sleeping with my girl. Um, and to see how petty Ben could be was also really fun too. Also didn't want to make him too petty where it just becomes like, you know, like what is wrong with this guy? But it's fun to, to toggle that, you know, and to find a good balance. Um, and we had the best writers and producers on set to maintain all of that. But yeah, it was fun working with Peter. Um, you know, he's got a different sensibility. He's got a different tempo to him. There is a, there's a gentle softness to him that can really combat Ben in his most volatile moments. And so you see a pretty stark contrast, in my opinion, in the type of person that Addison could be interested in, which is also just a great shade to see what Addison could be interested in, especially with the three-year gap. For a while, uh, it was no longer... Um, Caitlin, as, as your hologram, it was different people and you guys were separated more and that obviously affects real life filming days. So did the relationship change between the actors on the set when the relationships between the characters changed even slightly? For me? Yeah, of course. I mean, I went from having Caitlin nearly every day to having Caitlin like every other day to every three days. And we shared, I've logged more hours acting with Caitlin than anyone in my life. And you, your physical friend is leaving set. And so now, um, you know, I love working with our new guests. I, I personally really like actors and, you know, working with different processes and like, I get them because I am them. <laughs> um, and so I enjoy that, but it's also really nice to have um, a real consistent friend with you every day on set too 
So yeah, it was, it's an adjustment, but it's an adjustment for Ben as well. So it's kind of bled into one another, one informs the other. Um, But that's the great stuff that we can use for what we do. Um, And just to toss in a little anecdotal story. So Ray and I knew that we were going to be like broken up for a while and and so we were like, well, to thank, you know, everybody, we're going to get the, the crew like a like a it was like a donut truck or I forget what it was. I think it was the beignet truck. Beignet, yeah, it was the beignet truck. And it was and it's like going to be from Ray and Caitlin. And, and we've done it a couple of times. We tend to split things and, and send it out for the crew. <laughs> but Ray scheduled this one and he scheduled it the day after I left set and was not going to be in the leaps. <laughs> not, not purposeful. Um. (laughs) i was like so this feels like more of a celebration of (laughs) i had them retype the sign just from ray and caitlin just a real tiny print in the bottom (laughs) and with a question mark and caitlin (laughs) r.i.p uh yeah (laughs) it's but it was really fun i that was the day it was the last day um um, what's his name? Who's in four? Oh my gosh. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Tim Matheson. Um, Tim Matheson. Yeah, Tim Matheson was on set. It was the last day Tim was on set. And I was like, all right, Ray, well, bye. I'll see you in a few weeks. And someone, someone oh, just popped in so to join us. Oh, additional guest. Oh, nice oh, oh. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for for those of you listening at home on the podcast feed who can't see the video, we just had the arrival of Mason Alexander Park. Mason, welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so I'm so excited to get to pop in mid yeah, the dream. It was just me say. talking, which you've never worried about before. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's you only yeah, Caitlin rambling, rambling, rambling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would have been weird it if I came been. in when it was like that Raven been or an Emerson, So I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have made us. So um, thank you so much for being able to make it, Mason. I know that your time might be limited. Uh, I think maybe I'll throw a question to you that I threw to the group at the beginning of the call. Um, Being that season two has a a little bit of a different dynamic than season one, I had asked everybody what they liked most about sort of the new paradigm that you guys are under this season and um, what has been the most surprising or challenging with 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 the new setup. Well, I think that I like um, the platform that it's sort of given us for further character development um, for everybody. You know, we're not as tied to our roles this season. We're not as... um, tied to the structure of like the first few episodes which really had to set up kind of this leap of the week. These are the people's different functions. This is how their anxiety works. Like, (laughs) and all of that still exists and all of that still, you know, is, is useful and carries through season two, but we have so many more opportunities to go and kind of do these little sidebar one-off adventures or actually get into the imaging chamber and utilize different aspects of our skill sets um, in each episode so I think it gives the audience a nice chance to get to know um, all of the characters uh, and how they interact with each other a little better because previous to this season, we really 
you don't really see anybody except for Caitlin interact with Raymond. So a lot of his recollections or a lot of his relationship to the, you know, the people that are in um, the, the headquarters is all based in sort of like talking about them or in memory. And it's really been fun to watch like Ernie actually go in and have, you know, conversations with Ray and, and to me, for me to be able to do it and Rissa. Um, so I think that's my favorite part of, of this new kind of, uh, second chunk of, of quantum stories. I see. And just to that point, it's a question that I had for all of you. Um, with these increased character relationships that we're seeing in the season that don't necessarily rely on a season-long arc, because I feel like a lot of your interaction hinged on the mystery box of the first season because you always had the reveals and you had to get to the next plot point. Now that you can breathe a little bit and interact with each other more organically, are the character pairings that um, you want to delve into a little bit more that you haven't been able to? And I guess that's a question for all of you because you're able to interact so much more freely with each other than you had been in the first season. That's a good question. Um, I, you know, I, I'll take as many moments to <laughs> mess with as I possibly can. I think I spent the first, the first year of shooting was me menacing uh, Nemrissa mm-hmm. and Caitlin and Ernie, like just driving them up a wall every single day. So when I get to do that to Ray and give him the full experience <laughs> of the show, I think that that, that better him as a performer. I think that it um, it, increased, like, it makes the show better, you know. Mason so has a remarkable I, ability to bring you to the immediate present always, because Mason might be the most present and alive person that I know, and um, it's great when, as an actor, you forget your lines because because you're you're messing around right up until the point where they yell action and you've forgotten everything you're about to do and just flying off of instinct and that is mason every time um and it really if if mason's performance ever seems nuanced and accidental it's because we're i'm constantly accidentally finding my lines in our scenes um (laughs) and mason still holds the trophy for my favorite hologram moment when they appear severed because they appeared in a desk <laughs> and they look down and go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's the, the dynamics that we get to play is remarkably close to, I feel like how we are with each other in real life. And I think that's a strength to our, um, writing team and the people that can understand our dynamics and also um, just intrinsically the the relationships that we might have developed with each other as well. Like, you know, Nance feels like my sister. Like, it's no coincidence that we have the same last name. Um, you know, and it just, it's there's a, there's a brother-sister relationship there. Um, so, yeah, and Ernie has the, the unmistakable presence of a mentor. And so you have to have that grounding personality to pull you through some very specifically difficult situations. And I, I'm just so um, impressed with what our producers and writers have been able to create for us. And Nan, I know that you've been doing a lot more um, comedic stuff this season than you were last season, and also leaning into the relationship. Uh, Jen and Ian seem to be quite the pairing this season. Would you like to discuss a little bit more about uh, your character and how, how Jen has evolved? 
Jen and Ian have always been fortunate enough to be paired together a lot in headquarters. And I think relatively early on, we sort of figured out this dynamic. I know I've thrown it out there once or twice before that I do feel like we are like the thinking man's Tweedledee and Tweedledum sometimes. Um, (laughs) We are very smart, but like we just get into trouble a little bit and we have our own shorthand. We have our own inside jokes. And, um, and so I think I do think that credit to the writers, as Ray said, that that they were able to pick up on that relatively early um, and continue to sort of flesh that out, and we get just get to have more fun uh, in season two. Um, I definitely agree with what Ray said in terms of the dynamic between he and I personally crossing over for our characters as well. As well, something it wasn't anything we ever discussed, uh, and it wasn't anything um, that felt like either of us were actively doing it just, we just sort of fell into that sort of relationship to each other, which I feel like is kind of the best way, (laughs) you know? And, And then with the writing, right, everything sort of seemed to flow in that direction. I do think that people notice that when we are on set together. And then also we just, the in between takes little things that get, um, probably that get noticed by writers or, or, uh, even in the dailies or something, just, us needling each other. I think there was one day where I was just always on guard trying not to get a wet willy from Ray or just things like that. And those things <laughs> sort of that dynamic gets incorporated a little bit in the character. I think too, also just because um, Jen always had a bit of comedy um, in, in her writing uh, since the beginning, being able to play to a little bit more of that, especially in the leaps has been really fun because I do find that the tone for the leaps is slightly different. It's just, there's just a little bit more room for comedy um, in a different way. If comedy comes in headquarters, usually it's, it's tight and terse because we're always sort of racing against the clock. So it's little asides and this and that, and there's all this stuff going on, but, but this one thing really quick and whatever, and then we're off. But in the leaps, it's, you just have a bit more room for a different style, which has been really fun. Uh, Mason, uh, this season we've seen more of the appearance of Rachel. Uh, can you tell us more about that? And uh, what's that like uh, having that at work and at home and everything? <laughs> it's, it's it's so much fun. Um, yeah, I we I didn't really know how many episodes it was going to turn into, which has been sort of like the the ongoing lovely mystery. Because originally, like we we had discussed, I think even during the pilot, maybe trying to write um, someone uh, in for, for Ian to have like a kind of counterpoint, some sort of partner. Um, And then, you know, they all, they all had met Alice during the shooting of that. And um, in my head, you know, like everybody always makes like nice little sweet, empty promises. Mm -hmm. You're just like, yeah, we'll get you in that thing someday. The amount of people that have told me like, Oh yeah, we'll put you in that. You know, you're like, it's never gonna happen. Um, and so like maybe two weeks before or a few weeks before we got close to the episode last year, you know, they sort of brought it up to me again and they were like, Hey, so we're, you know, thinking of writing, uh, this character, Rachel into blah, 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 blah. Um, and so it was really fun. It was fun to do it. It was, you know, the one episode in that year, it felt like a one-off. And then when they were pitching their idea for season two, to me of like how it, you know, might shape up. Um, she was a big part of it. And that was super exciting. Like this idea that even 
after all of that time had passed that these characters had sort of reconnected and maybe um, apologized to one another and actively like tried to make things work Um, because it's nice for Ian to have, I think someone to uh, refer to or to utilize that isn't directly involved in the program um, mainly because we're all biased. Like we all have such heavy emotional investment in getting Ben back home, no matter what it takes. And I think she's a little more pragmatic and a little more like, on the side of what's best for Ian or on the side of what might be best for, you know, um, other, other aspects of, of, uh, the program in the world. Uh, and so it's, it just, it's cool. It, it, it creates another avenue for really fun storytelling that I'm, I'm grateful that uh, I get to work with the scene partner that, you know, I, I love working with. A question for Nan, are we going to find out much more about what's happened to Jen over the last three years? Because I feel that to, to Mason's point, we've, we've, we know how that relationship's gone. We've certainly seen plenty of uh, what's happened with Caitlin's character. When are we going to find out more about the the gen gap? I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I think I think Jen's got a pretty colorful life outside of the program. Uh, but I I will say I think, and I would love to delve into that, and particularly also like um, uh, if we see some of maybe you know, something like her past, or if she had sort of dipped back into, um, you know, a little bit of an old lifestyle or something like that. But I, I think, you know, I'd like to show some, but at the same time, Jen is the kind of person that like, she keeps her cards close to her chest. And I think she's, she's a bit compartmentalized. And I don't know that she really wants, uh, the T as close as they're the closest people to her. I don't know that she wants anybody in her life to know all aspects of her life. So I suspect we'll see, you know, maybe slivers here and there. I don't know if, um, if Jen would ever really be willing to expose herself fully to, uh, to, um, to the rest of the team, but, but maybe I hope, I hope we get to see, you know, some, some stuff, a little bit of, Jen's origin story or, or again, perhaps what she had been up to, um, in the three years. Cause we did talk about that a little bit. Um, uh, I did talk about that a bit with Martin and, and Dean, but, um, but I, as far as I know, I, I, I have no idea what's coming up. They probably got it in their back pockets, you know? <laughs> Exciting. Um, for all of you, uh, what was it like coming back to set after the strike? Uh, and just was it any different or was it like the next day almost? Uh, maybe, Caitlin, start with you. Oh, I think both is the good answer to that. I think it absolutely felt we all, you know, jumped right back in. Um, we had stayed in contact. Most of the cast had seen each other in, you know, at least a couple of times in the interim. Uh, which was really nice, but there were some, you know, key position changes in the crew. And, and so things did feel different when we got back. Um, but I think everybody was just so overwhelmingly happy to be there that, and, and like, you know, remember we did 26 episodes in a row the first time, like we went to work and then never left. So (laughs) we were all pretty smoked by the time we wrapped, uh, nomads Um, and now, you know, then the world really, it just really hurt. You know, there's a lot of people hurting Hollywood hurt a lot. Um, so to just go back and feel that 
love and feel those friendships and be like, okay, you know, I don't know what's going on in the rest of the world, but here we can do this. We can do quantum leap for these five more episodes and, and you know what I mean? And, and give it the best we can. That felt, I think that was my, my primary feeling. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely an overwhelming feeling of gratitude all around. And just like, I think we were just all smiling from ear to ear. And I, I remember being tremendously nervous that first take um, back, just wondering if Ben Song is still there. Um, you know, we have to continue on without a hiccup. So, so for the viewer, it's seemingly just another week has passed. But for me, it's felt like a, a whole lifetime. You know, I, I, I feel like I, I, I grew as a person over the strike atus. And uh, I feel like uh, want, wanting and needing to layer in a different Ben without making it too obvious that Ben is evolving along with Raymond was a bit of a challenge in the first few takes and the first couple of scenes. Uh, and like Caitlin mentioned, we had some key crew members also swap out. So that was interesting to adjust to. But I couldn't sleep the night before. I think I got like three hours of sleep. And then I looked over at Martin, who was there for to give a, a welcome back speech. And he's like, I couldn't sleep. I was like, I don't could you sleep? And I'm like, why were you nervous? And I'm like, you're not in front of the camera. He's like, I don't know. I was just so nervous. It's anything. He was waiting for anything to go wrong. Um, so yeah, there was a certain, but it was a good kind of nerves, you know, like we don't want to, we don't want to get up kind of nerves and it was, it's great. When you said you couldn't sleep and you looked over and Martin. <laughs> yeah, we both were just, we were trying our best. I called him at 11 o'clock to come over so we could spoon and hope he back. You were like, nothing really worked. <laughs> Yeah, could you bring over your CBD? Uh, I've got melatonin, warm cup of milk. Nothing I'm worse. shipping this right now. This is beautiful. No wonder this show is so good. This is why you're yeah. you gotta get time. the spoon in. Spoon in with the garo. I'll tell you what, Mason in season three, Ray and Martin are going to be like Bert and Ernie. They're just going to live together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just fully living together. <laughs> I support it. Agreed. I think it's, I think it's what's best. That's all that show, matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to be very yeah. like symbiotic. Sleeping. Physically <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Just sleeping next to each other. In season two, we have two new cast members. Did it ever feel like, did you ever have some insecurities of, oh no, they're adding more people because they don't like me because I know everybody has a little bit of insecurity and was there worries or was it more of a just uh, a bigger family kind of thing? I think that every day. <laughs> I do too. So. <laughs> every day. Am I getting fired? Do I ever go back yeah. in the leaps? Yeah. Do I die? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's, I'm probably isolated there. <laughs> Ray's like, no, they love me. I, I mean, I never worked with them. You know, I feel like I had what? We had maybe two moments with Peter or something. So, I mean, if Peter could be the nicest guy on earth, I, <laughs> I don't know him. <laughs> no, P- Peter's really nice. We've had, we've had lunch a few times, like during, during shoot days. But yeah, like I, I think I've, run into like it took me forever to even see what hannah looked like um because there was just no overlap (laughs) at all so um 
I, I, I have absolutely no opinion of either of those people. I think they're great. <laughs> but like I've got it's that's the weird thing with the show. Is it's so it's structured in such a way that like we never when the guests come on, they all work with Ray and the leaps. And like so Caitlin will have that experience or if it's a leap in which, you know, so other people are, are the hologram, then we'll get that experience. But overall, like there truly is very little interaction between the headquarters and the people within the actual adventure. And it, it feels like a shame at times because there's so many cool people that come through the show. Like it is really stacked with so many like remarkably talented individuals, people that bring so many different like styles and genre to the show that I wish I had a chance to see more of like up close. Um, but I'll be lucky if like in the trailer, we're passing each other like uh, out of hair and makeup and be like, hey, you know, <laughs> I remember you from that thing. It's very cool. And, and I'm not about it. No, um, no, I, I, I'm, you know, as, as we have five series regulars on our show and that's fairly lean compared to the shows that I've been in before. And so adding two new characters to kind of, uh, ruffle things up, so to speak, it was an exciting prospect for me, especially given, um, the actors they are, um, I was just, you know, it's, it's always fun to, these, these are the things that you look forward to as an audience member as well. Like, you know, you, you read a deadline article of so-and-so who's joining the cast in so-and-so season. And the first thing that I think of is like, oh, how is this going to, you know, mess things up or make it more exciting? Or I wonder how this can deepen. And, you know, the, the deeper and more confusing, the better, I say. Um, and our characters have to find our ways out of that puzzle. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always excited at the prospect of a, a great new artist joining our team. I wanted to ask about the relationship changes because, uh, you know, uh, the two leads break up. They're no longer together. And that really affects the whole ensemble uh, because it's a new dynamic for everyone. And as fans uh, just watching from the outside, we had no idea that, you know, uh, Caitlin, you were going to be the hologram again, even. So we were like, so distraught over the end of the relationship and then the time jump. And then just not knowing if there's a future for you. It's, it's great to know that you're the hologram again and you're forming a friendship, but, um, what was it like playing those uh, parts of those characters during those times? Because I like um, there was a couple episodes where it got really heavy between you two, and and how did that affect everybody on set? Uh, I think it was one of the best arcs I've ever gotten to play as an actor, and one of the least like the things I've least liked to actually do. Like, I don't think Ray and I were ever super happy on the days that we had to, like, go at it. It Like, it bleeds in. You don't want to treat your friend that way or say goodbye. But as an actor, we got so much to do that was so broken out of the first season. So it was very bittersweet, at least in my experience. Um, I don't know. Ray? I had the most fun on those days. So <laughs> Just oh knowing that Caitlin was hurting that much was my uh, favorite. Thing. Wow. Um, no, you know, uh, 
you look at those scenes and you're preparing for them and you, these are all the scenes that you've dreamt of doing, right? Like these are the scenes in movies where you go like, wow, that really affected me. And the fact that now you can be a vehicle for that for our, our audience. Cause like, wow, like they get to, we get to show them this story and we get to be the ones who are embodying these voices and, and emotions and feelings and lives. Um, but then when you're there, yeah, it is. Our, our bodies really don't know uh, if we're acting or not. So, you know, there is a, there is a release that happens where like you, there's a lot of adrenaline going and there's a lot of feelings going and your body just kind of dumps out at the end of the day because emotionally you've had to repeat this over and over and over. And it's not a good feeling. Um, but it, that's the juicy stuff though. That's, that's, if everything was just all surface, then it wouldn't be fun. Speaking to that point, Ray, when you're talking about your body remembers and you're going through these emotions, one thing that's more evident this season than it was last season, um, and which is different from the Legacy series, is the fact that Ben coexists with his Leap E. So any physical attributes that the Leap E has, you take on as well. So we saw that uh, most evidently in Secret History when you had to walk with a limp. Um, are you finding ways to incorporate more physicality based on who you might have leapt into as the show is going on? Yeah. Um Talk, talking about layering, um, just another aspect of that. Um, a lot of times the wardrobe informs you, you know, um, if I wear extremely baggy clothes, I move differently. If I wear three inch heels, I move differently. And so I just kind of let that inform me, work from the outside in. And what's cool is that I'm, I'm building this, um, like not dissimilar to Neo in the matrix of like, Oh, I know this now. And so I have to remember with each leap that I learned this boxing combination, or I learned how to wield a sword in this way, because this character might've known how to do that. And so I'm finding myself in situations where physically my body remembers and I have to use now that I have my entire memory back, uh, everything that I've learned in my entire life to incorporate that in, which is sort of um, building this like kind of many all-knowing superhero in a way, um, only limited to the body that they're currently in. Um, so it's it's very exciting to layer in that during prep and on the day. And I, I hope it's reading to the audience um, because I think it's a fun thing to track. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very exciting and you can't escape a cane. Um, you're holding it, you're leaning on it. And yeah. Yeah. That's a fascinating aspect I hadn't even, even considered. I mean, how much is Ray, uh, Ray, how, how much is Ben going to know how to do by like say episode 95 Right. <laughs> Basically, everything that Thor knows how to do. Right. Um, <laughs> if I ever leap into Thor, I'd know exactly what to do with that body. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't even remember your question. Um, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That was the answer. That is the whole answer. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting wrinkle I hadn't considered that you as the character would retain a lot of that stuff as you go on. 
even though you're not in that body anymore. But we did see it in Nomad when you knocked the the guard out, when you knocked the the, the spy out that was chasing you, and you did it just like boom with a plum, just boom, boom, boom. He was dead. So uh, that'll it, be interesting to see how they play with that as the series goes on. Yeah, I, I I hope that it's also something. I mean, it's more for me to track than anybody else. But there was a mention of it that I don't know if if we kept that in episode six, which was meant to be episode one of the pilot, as you know. But mm. there was a line where it's like I'm, and I'm butchering it, but it's like I can't possibly run anymore. This body that I'm in, he's not used to this sort of running, and like that is a fun wrinkle to always work mm. in. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting when I get to see that show up on the text and I go, oh, that's fun. Such as the limp. <laughs> cool. What was Egypt like? <laughs> Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and why didn't everybody yeah, get that? hot. They should have made an excuse yeah, for everybody. To <laughs> I'll answer that one. Um, <laughs> yes. Is it because you weren't no, spooning? If you were spooning um, more, <laughs> Egypt would have been on the charts. For the record, when we were in Egypt, I do yeah. believe Mason was either filming Sandman or slash and also in previews for uh, uh, their show on the West End Cabaret. So I, I think they were doing fine. <laughs> I was fine. I was I was looking at the pictures and I was like, "This is great. This is nice. I like that." And yeah. then you know, sending that little, little gentle London spring you were in, a little different, <laughs> yeah. a little different. <laughs> uh, yeah, Egypt looks great. It looks so <laughs> it was, sandy, very dusty, very hot. Zero zero coverage uh, in terms of no trees, so we just. Had to seek shelter, but I think the real show was not. The camera wasn't pointed towards the real show. If you would have seen our first AD trailer and the Egyptian crew trying to lock down the civilians from keeping them from getting in the shot, that was the real show. Um, it was it was mayhem. Um, <laughs> there's a scene where uh, Ben runs through the bazaar and. Uh, all of them are just actively trying not to get the shopkeepers in the shot because they're wearing ball caps and hoodies. And they're like, that's not period. Um, but these <laughs> shopkeepers refuse to go back in their stores because of course, why would they? It's their own store. They can step out if they want to. Um, there you go. That's a, that is a picture of our first AD trailer. Um, <laughs> doing wow. way more work than we're doing. Um <laughs> But yeah, it was completely surreal. Our, our cast holding was right in front of the Sphinx. And when you're afforded the luxury of getting bored staring at the Sphinx, you know that you're in a very charmed position. Um, yeah, I, I knew I'd see. There's, there's Grismer. He's <laughs> trying, trying to you keep it together. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's a bucket list. And it's two bucket lists at once getting to do what you love to do while you're getting paid to do it. So it's great. It was great. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the episode Nomad has really pointed out that we are having much more, um, I guess, bolder, more adventurous feeling leaps for season two. Um, do we have more of that in store for the final episodes of the season? 
Yeah. <laughs> Poor Ray had a rough week. Let's just say that. I have not felt bad for Ray for really no reason at all in my life. But this week, he got pretty brutalized. <laughs> so, you know what? <laughs> okay. Is this episode 10? Episode 10? Nine. Yes. Nine. 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 Well, both. We shot nine and ten nine. this week. We, we swapped. Oh, so half yeah. But, nine, half yeah, 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 yeah. Um, mm. Just so yeah. we know what to look out for with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't already uh, obvious. Ten. And by ten. we, I mean, yeah, the, the, the writers are going for it. <laughs> so, so when we see you brutalized on screen, Ray, I'll just think of Caitlin laughing and laughing and laughing. It'll be great. As you should. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was yeah. like. You know it's a bad day when half of the producers come on set and go, we're so sorry. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Did you, get a, did you get a cuddle off Martin? <laughs> yeah, that's... No, no cuddle for no cuddles for him that day. <laughs> He's falling asleep on his own. <laughs> and uh, I maybe bring the question to to Mason and to Nan. Uh, Nan had said that uh, you guys had had fun being able to step out of the cave, so to speak, because now you're able to go in as a hologram. I, I'm assuming that um, that experience. Uh, continues for you as as this season progresses and i guess mason we hadn't really been able to ask you about that what's it been like to be able to get out of headquarters a little bit and to be on the leaps and on location i mean, i think it's great i um like 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 ray was saying i um probably am a little too uh silly and non-precious about things so i just show up and i'm like pushing things around and ready to like mess with people. Um, and then like the second they call <laughs> it, you know, we're like, oh, shit, we have to, yeah, we've got a job to do. We've got to do this thing. So that was a, it, like, especially fun in the leaps because I think the leaps actively have this energy that we, we replicate a very similar energy throughout most of the episodes in headquarters, which is like, down to the wire trying to figure out a problem. So tensions are always high. The anxiety levels usually operating in a very specific, you know, range um, emotionally. And so we know what that energy is. We kind of like have this, this idea of what headquarters is supposed to feel like um, in almost every scene. Whereas like the leaps do not function in the same way. Like they're, they still are insanely high energy, but it's a different, it's a different kind of problem solving. It's way more active in like a, in a physical way. Um, so just getting to like watch how big that world is up close and get to like, especially with the witch episode, you know, the Salem witch trials episode, like getting to see the scope of the sets and the amount of actors that they hire for those scenes and, and, working, you know, alongside that many people who can't really like see or, or, or hear you or touch you or whatever. It's like, it is so much fun. Um, and I, yeah, I love, I just love getting to act with Ray. I think he's such a, an amazing performer and such a, a, a singular kind of individual that like there, there hasn't been, I, I haven't had a scene partner quite like him before that I've, you know, enjoyed <laughs> in, in that specific way. So it's always a nice, a nice treat to get to go in and try to. All right, I'll Venmo you fifty dollars right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you give us a little bit of hint of the upcoming five episodes without spoiling anything, but just a little bit to 
to tease us of uh, what we might be looking forward to. Yeah, I'll take this one. Mason so, hasn't um, read a goddamn uh, script. <laughs> Not one script. Mark Not even the script we're shooting Mark now. Mark Zuckerberg is <laughs> the president of the United States. And I would like to tell you a like, story before guys. we answer that question. <laughs> yes, Mason, oh, no. that story. So we're in Vancouver. And... Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we sit down to, read the, to do the first table read with Ernie Hudson cast. He's actually on a computer. All the rest of us are sitting at a physical table in Vancouver. Ernie zoomed in. <laughs> and we, we got to like do the table read. Table read's a very big deal. The table read has to go well before the network, you know, before they're like, okay, here we go, because they're spending lots of money on this. And so we got to set it up all right. Anyway, Mason rocks up. I have my script highlighted, notes everywhere, dog-eared. You know, I was a good student. And Mason rocks up with the envelope completely unopened. <laughs> Mason had not even taken the little twisties off of their script. <laughs> and I said... To be fair... It was a new draft, and I had read the, read it on the plane on my okay. phone. You know, I had read that sure. on the thing, so I knew what I was and going I said, into. It helps if you open it, and they said, "No, I think it'll be fine." And that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine. And you know what? It was fine. It was great. <laughs> It's really when you develop a character that is so um, close to you, then the process of discovery, uh, like in real time, actually can be relatively useful. Like I, 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 because I, I do fight with it sometimes. As a fan of the show, I get really excited to want to know what's coming next. But as a human being who also like has other work and and is is very just like tired as a individual of life. Um, often like the thing I don't want to do is, is re just like study the next thing until it's coming up. So a lot of times I figure out what's going on with those episodes, like two or three nights before we're, you know, actually shooting it. Um, and, uh, you know, some people don't, don't, don't work that way. I think it, it's helpful for Ian because they are so frazzled and like really not, um, not ever caught up and, and always a little bit behind um that it, mm -hmm. it it really helps me with all of my uh isms <laughs> that i've sort of developed with the character and it's yeah, a great it's it's a beautiful eloquent rationalization yeah. of <laughs> off. i'm just gonna <laughs> off <laughs> not know how mark <laughs> wow <laughs> who let you get away with this level of bullshit your whole life <laughs> <laughs> but here's yeah, the thing yeah. is I can't do it with every job. You know, it, it, it is, it is character to character. Like I do my, my favorite thing about, about specific actors is when they don't approach each role or each like job the same exact way, because it does give them, it, it, you, you develop your own process like that works for that character. Um, and I think that this actually was like at the, the, the unpreparedness or the like chaoticism was really helpful for me with developing this character, oddly enough. Um, and so I've sort of like tried to keep it, even if I do have the time to like really dive in, you know, like a week before I'll go, you know what? No, I'm going to save it. And I'm like, I'm going to cherish this thing when it comes to, you know, two nights before. And I'm like, okay, what's happening? What's going on in this episode? 
unless it's like big arc things, you know, I get phone calls about that stuff. Like that's what Martin and Dean will like walk you through a month or two before you even get there. You know, they'll give me a call and be like, so you and Rachel are together and blah, 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 blah. And that's how it like goes through. So I know what like the overarching story is for Ian or the overarching story for me um, well before we even get there. It's just the actual like specificity of the episodes that I, I, I hold on to that secret until right before. Also because the scripts are being changed so drastically, like all the time. So I, you know, you, you can't get too precious or too attached to it because then you watch things that you love, like get cut, like really quickly, um, whether it's budget or, or actors or time constraints, like the, the changes that they make on network television are unlike anything, you know, with like the scripts to Sandman or something like I can read that right now and guarantee that it'll be tweaked by the time I shoot that in a few months. But like, it won't be so dramatic unless there's a massive um, change to setting because they can no longer get that cathedral to shoot this, you know, certain scene. Um, but that the lines are more than likely going to be the same. So you can kind of like read a script like that and begin to get attached to the language. Whereas here, um, at least I can't because they love to change. That is true. In Mason's stuff. defense. Like, yeah. Next day, it'll be a whole like different journey. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I found that I'll be really screwed if I like actively worked hard to memorize whatever the jargon was and then get into it. And they're like, and here's the whole new thing. Now, you know, now Ben's dead and this is blah, 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 blah. And I have to be like, oh, cool. So you still have the memory of that thing and you have to fight against it as you're reading lines that are like close to what it was, but so not the same thing. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a game. Like I have to play games with myself on this show in a way that I, I do not with others. To dogs. answer your question though, I have <laughs> that the question was what's happening next. Yeah, why don't you go back to the question? After <laughs> As I said to Ray once on set, I didn't get this far by not paying attention. So I read everything. <laughs> I'm texting Dean, Drew, and Martin like <laughs> Like they are my roommates. What's <laughs> happening? Um, it's very exciting. Uh, Nomad really tweaks the season to set up what's going to ultimately launch through the next five. And honestly, I was surprised at how big the scope was and how exciting and integral each character becomes like the stakes for everybody starts to go up astronomically, which is exactly what you want. And then to off ramp the season, um, like what's happening for Ian is enormous and integral. And then what's happening for Jen has is completely like trying to support what's going on there and like fill in magic's making big decisions. Obviously there's other things going on in our interpersonal relationships. So what I'm just floored by is how they've married the size and scope of things like Nomad, big Egypt, big adventures, big exciting leaps with like, they have not sacrificed at all the leverage and character arcs of everybody else. So I think you guys are going to be actually really excited. I'm really pumped about it. Um, so it's, it's a really strong five and I think it's going to set up for, you know, everybody's praying for, but a phenomenal, exciting season three that again will just change the dynamic of the cast. It's just, it's really cool. 
Wow. When when Tom walks into the kitchen in that final scene and he says, uh, we found a fragment of a document, that must be some hell of a fragment <laughs> that he found, boy. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I cannot wait to see how all of this plays out. I'm jealous of all of you that you know, or at least you know some. Mason, you don't know that much, Most but of you, you know. will. Most of you know. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know enough to, to skate by. So, um, I mean, we've, we've kept you guys on for an hour. I, I know that we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, are there any aspects of either the show or the characters or where, just where you're at personally with your journey with Quantum that you'd like to share with, with the fan community? And why don't we just go around the table with that? Um, Ray, why don't we start with you? Um, it's been um, a wildly fulfilling journey for so many reasons. And uh, I just love and appreciate our fans for, for following along and for contributing to the conversations and, um, you know, for the legacy fans that have decided to welcome us as well. We thank you so much because there wouldn't be a current quantum leap without the previous original one. Um, so it's, it, it feels really great. Uh, we feel very supported. Um, and we want to continue to make the most compelling show out there. Um, because we have so many great storytelling tools. Um, and I just think, um, everyone should be watching what we're doing because it's pretty exceptional work in so many departments. And um, I, I'm with the exception of Mason, everyone's working very hard. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Ray, you have no idea. My back hurts from having to carry you everywhere. This, I'm working hard. Honey. I am working hard. My quads are just insane. Well, how, how about you, Mason? Is there any any aspect of Ian's character that you'd like to see uh, evolve or any messages for the leapers out there that are listening? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I love being on a part of this community. Like, I love being a part of the show and a part of the fabric of the show because it's something that is literally like beamed into people's households. And I, I have found such a magic with network television and the way that it's access gives you an opportunity to like create a, a, a different experience of the world for people. You know, it's, it's, uh, it reaches a demographic of people that like often you don't have the opportunity to, to reach. And so I, I'm forever grateful that I get to be a part of a show like this that's on NBC that, you know, and streaming on Peacock, <laughs> but that um, that literally shows up in people's homes and that they make it like a ritual to sit down and watch, you know, with their loved ones uh, every week, because like, it's a, it's just, it's magical. It's a kind of magical opportunity to, to um, really like, teach people about empathy and to show them things that they might not necessarily have access to because this show gets to tell so many different kinds of stories in a weekly format that like, I, I can't think of many things like it. You know, it's, it's a hundred shows 
but they're just, it's just one episode of those shows, you know, uh, back to back to back. And so you really can give people like a, a, a relatively unique experience of the world in these really like micro segments. Um, and I will, yeah, I, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the feeling of like couples in their, you know, sixties coming up to me in the airport, telling me that like Ian's their favorite character of even, and that they have, you know, like a non-binary grandchild that, you know, they couldn't really communicate with clearly before, didn't necessarily have the understanding of, but because they've had more access and more like it's been more part of the vernacular of their weekly, you know, entertainment, they now like can approach their, you know, family member with so much more understanding and empathy and interest and less, uh, be less dismissive of, of certain things that I think like, if you don't see it represented, if you don't see certain things represented in massive media, like it is easy to kind of dismiss it as a smaller portion of the world or of, of you know, uh, a smaller demographic of the world. When in the reality is, it's just like, there are so many leaps and bounds that the entertainment industry needs to make when it comes to inclusion and representation that like this show just naturally kind of blew out of the water with the cast that it put together. It put like some of the funniest, warmest, smartest people in a room. And we all just happen to look different and be of different ages and of different, you know, backgrounds and races and identities. And like, it's so, so cool because this cast like looks like the world that I'm legitimately a part of. Like it looks like the people I see every day. Um, and it's not like this glistening, you know, perfect version of like what we think, you know, humanity should look like. Like this is what humanity looks like, um, which is what Quantum Leap is all about. So um, thank you to everyone who's, you know, tunes in weekly and is a part of this and a part of our lives because it, it, a show like this does have the capacity to I, to change lives, I think. I think for Jen, I just like to see, I'm, I'm just hoping for um, just more opportunities to sort of flesh out the relationships between her and the people she loves. I think um, spending a little more time with Ben would be fun uh, because I think now that she's done it, you know, the first time she went into a leap, she was very reticent. And, um, and, and she felt like she didn't have a place there. But, um, after that, I think, you know, she had one, then two under her belt. And now I feel like you have an opportunity to see your friend, you know, you're going to want to see your friend. <laughs> and so I feel like that would be fun. I think it would also be fun to see a little bit more of, um, either what she's been up to in the last three years or, um, maybe some of the, the past choices that she's made in her life before she found the team. Um, maybe because again, they, she broke a lot of laws um, and perhaps hung around a lot of people that, um, that, uh, that are very different from her life now. I, I wonder if there's any repercussions from that. Um, and uh, to people who watch the show, just thanks for watching. Um, and, uh, and, uh, just, I really appreciate it. And I hope you, I hope you enjoy the rest of season two, because I think we, we have some pretty fun, explosive stuff coming up. Cool. And, uh, to hologram number one, Caitlin, why don't you, why don't you bring us home? And, uh, while answering the question, feel free to give Ray and Mason as much shit as you want. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I just want to show with Nanrissa because she's nice and smart and does her homework. Um, no, so it, it, truthfully, I think, I mean, I th- I'll, I'll take a more technical TV side answer to this question because I think everybody just really summed it up beautifully about what it feels like to be on this show and what the show can mean to people. Um, but I think the show is doing something incredibly unique, right? Like, so we took some, a show that was already a bit of a unique bird, uh, the original Quantum Leap that had a very specific setup. And we took that setup and we expanded on it, but we did it in a way that honored and brought the old show with us and tried to bring as many of the original fans as we could. And I think, I think we've accomplished that mission to, to a great extent, which has brought everybody on the screen an immense amount of joy. But then what's happened that is even special, I think more special is then we took that expanded concept and we just kept going. We said, well, what else can this show do then? What can a cast of five core characters do? What what happens if you break the mold? If you take the original hologram leaper and you break them apart and you start to have to use people differently? What happens in the real world when somebody has to contend with something this big? Um, and then where are we in television and what kind of breadth can we actually take a network show by the way, and create, go to Egypt. I mean, there's not a lot of captains that could take us here. And Martin Garrow is one of them, right? Um, So, and then to know that basically episode eight is like a gear shift change in season two that will explode throughout the rest of the season. Just, I mean, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 are just enormous in breadth and character. And then where it's going to leave us I mean, it just sets up a brand new, almost not show, but new chapter and new breakage and new remolding of what this show can be. So, I mean, I think when it comes to like in the age of reboots, which I don't love the the saying, but I I, I understand it it, it, with how many things have been recycled recently. I, I honestly think that I mean, not to tutor on her, but we did it the best in the terms of like, we took the heart of the show and incorporated that and then moved it to today rather than just recycling something that worked. And and I think we did that well. And I'm just impressed and blown away by what these actors have, have brought and, and what these writers are doing. So it's a ride. You can't expect the same thing day to day outside of like, fun relationships and a fun leap, but everything else, no promises. Like (laughs) it will change, which is cool. I think. And thank you for taking the ride with us. Yeah. And uh, we are looking forward to the rest of that ride. Uh, What an exciting note to end on. Thank you so much, Raymond, Caitlin, Nanrissa, Mason, and in spirit, Ernie and Peter and Eliza. Uh, We are so thrilled to be able to talk to you. And um, thank you for appearing with us here on the quantum leap podcast. Of course. It's great talking to you. Dude, is it any wonder that we're still on a high 24 hours later? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) 
has it? It has. It's been 24 hours, and I'm still just so excitable. Wow. You know what? The funny thing is that I couldn't help but thinking I was having such a good time during that interview, and uh, a little behind the scenes, uh, Matt and I are recording this the day after. You poor bastards haven't even been able to edit that final cut that we yeah. just heard together yet. I don't want to know how you're going to navigate that. <laughs> pandemonium it was hilarious (laughs) to be honest i think just no actual cuts like usually there's there's a lot of there's a lot of invisible cuts that go into the interviews that hopefully you don't pick up on that just smooth things out i i think nothing uh for the video version some cutting backwards and forwards of angles just to make it look interesting but no i i don't think there is any point trying to edit the audio on that or trying to trim it down and wow if, if you're listening to this Go and check out the video version on YouTube, especially because I think watching Mason just absolutely lose it several times <laughs> is is just uh, it, they are infectious. Like I, I hope I was sitting there smiling along, but um, in my head I was I was in hysterics and still am. They've just just got such this genuine laugh that you see so many times. Love it. Yeah, I I just want to thank the entire cast yes. for being so accessible and yeah. honestly just being like like normal funny people. Mm. And I know that sounds weird to say because most people are just normal funny people, but I mean they're the stars of a major network television show talking to a podcast. But it's like they were on talking to us as equals and friends and it's just not a dynamic that you would expect doing what we do. And uh, we are eternally grateful for all the access and just how collegial and friendly and open they've always been with us. So thank you all so much. Thank you. For being on the show and for reaching out to the fan community through us. We are just, we're flabbergasted and uh, gobsmacked and honored. Mm. I'll stop with the expletives now. I sound like I'm gushing because I am. Fortunately (laughs) for us and fortunately for you at home, this ain't the end. There's more. Yeah, but there's more. There's more. It's not quite. It's not quite the runaway train that the last one was, but wow, it's a great interview. Uh, hey, this is Quantum Leap. We do the tonal shifts. We've had the, the comedy episode. Next up is the, the thoughtful drama episode, I guess. That's how this metaphor would play out. Sure, and uh, there is no one more thoughtful on this planet than Dean Georgiaris. So everybody, here is our interview with Dean Georgiaris. Hello, Leapers. I'm Chris, and I'm here with Albie and Matt, and we are thrilled to welcome Dean Georgiaris back to the podcast. Dean, how you doing? I'm doing good. It's good to be back talking to all of you. So uh, for those out there who don't know, Dean is the executive producer of Quantum Leap, and he is also a writer and basically runs the show over there. So we got, you know, we got the inside track. Uh, when, when it comes to Quantum Leap. And boy, oh boy, Dean, I got a lot of questions. So season two, huh? I mean... I, 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 can, answer, I can answer some of them. I promise you by the end of the season, they'll all be answered. And, and stuff that you didn't even realize was being asked will be answered. I'm very, like, we're all very satisfied about the, the, the full season. Awesome. Well, let's start at the beginning of the season, because um, one thing that um, we've been remarking on on the podcast uh, since uh, this this has taken too long 
is the market change in the feel of the show this season, sort of in the attitude of the show this season, and the way you've pivoted away from season one to create a whole new feel for Quantum Leap. So can you tell us a little bit about when you were wrapping up season one after you got through Judgment Day, like when you were breaking season two, what kinds of new considerations were you guys uh, taking into account when, sure. when, when, when crafting the story? You know, I think, uh, as Martin has said before, it, we both, Martin and I, came on basically very early in the filming of season one, but we already had, they had already sort of established the, that the present day story was going to be a mystery. I think a very, very good choice for a first season. You know, why does Ben leap and his beloved is trying to get him home? I think, and then that was, so if you think about it, that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mystery story, right? And with a little bit of a thriller thrown in. Um, And when we got to the end of season one, Martin and I started talking about what we would do, you know, sort of what would you do differently? Right. Not because you necessarily weren't happy with what you did, but you're it's more like, hey, we get another shot. We and this is a show that can kind of I don't say it can reinvent itself, but I do think the engine that is quantum leap, the the leaping uh, does allow for a lot of different kinds of stories. I think, as I've said to you before, like there can be a romantic season, there can be a thriller season, there can be all sorts of seasons. And. That coupled with the fact that we had we tell stories in the present with modern characters in the present, as opposed to the original show, we Martin and I both had a longing to tell emotional stories for our present day characters, as opposed to um, stories on a mystery axis about what has been doing and why. And um, you know, we wanted to create a season where, you know, like for example, in Nomads. The audience knows Addison's got something else on her mind and the audience knows what it is. And in fact, Addison doesn't even have to talk about it with Ben that episode. It's not, you know, the episode has a lot going on, but the audience knows where Addison's coming from. The audience knows where Ben's coming from. And so I guess in a way, what I'm trying to say is, you know, you, you think of some of these great television dramas where people's jobs and their emotional livelihood is the focus of storytelling. Like, for example, uh, Grey's Anatomy. The example of a show where you would be, it would be strange to watch it and not know how these characters felt about life and each other. Um, and, I, you know, we really wanted to try to tell a st- like a season on that axis, if you will. Um, but not just because of what it does for the present, but also because we wanted to explore and we want to explore what would it mean to actually be a leaper. Like what, what is your living experience? You know, what you don't have any, you don't make new friends, not anything permanent. I mean, it is the most ephemeral existence imaginable. And how can we start to dramatize that? How can we start to ask questions like, what would love be like for a time travel? How, you know, so we wanted to ask these sort of these big emotional questions. Um, and that was why Martin said, well, what if we do a time jump? And they all thought Ben was dead. Um, and that was, that was one of those aha moments when he said it. I was just so, I was so excited. I kept thinking, I was like, boy, I don't know if I ever would have thought of that, but I'm so glad he said it. 
Well, that effectively um, allowed you to clean the slate because so much time had passed for the characters. And even though Ben, um, he, it, for him, it was just one leap. But you did such a remarkable job, and this has taken too long, uh, of leaving him alone for the entire leap because it was almost like a soft reboot for Ben. He had to learn how to, you know, just trust in his gut and do things the way he thought they should be done, even though, uh, you know, he's used, used to help from Addison and then everything that unfolds for the season. So I guess um, what I'd like to know is when you were figuring out the character journeys for your main cast this season, what were the things specifically that you wanted to highlight and maybe tweak, not just on the leaping aspect, but the back of the project aspect, because that has a much different feel this season too, even though they're still in the cave, as I know the cast likes to call it. Um, it's, 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 it's a much different dynamic going on there. I think what we wanted to do, well, first of all, what we wanted to do was introduce the kind of stakes that, you know, emotional stakes for the for for all the characters, right? Like we wanted, the, like that. You know, they lost him once and thought he was dead. That's now happened to them, and frankly, it's a sort of Damocles that's hanging over every every episode. Like it's a sort of unspoken, but it's there. Um, we, you know, we loved the idea that we would get to tell the stories of what happened to these people. You know, uh, I'll put it to you this way: like, what happens when you read the title card? Sam Beckett never made it home. <laughs> like, what happens for the next two or three years if you're, you know, like, what does that actually feel like? Um, you know, and I, we knew we would allow us to to um, we get to know the personal lives of these characters in the present more. But I think also, you know, look, our stories besides a leap story, which is always the most important thing. Um, our story is a love story and there's nothing better than obstacles in a love story. And then also what we wanted to do this year that we couldn't do last year really was try to expand what we as an audience think about when we tune into an episode of Quantum Leap. You know what I mean? Like, and what I mean by that is, so because we aren't just a, the whole episode is we're in Sam's shoes and we, you know, we're not spending 44 minutes or 42 minutes as Sam. We're spending 28 minutes, let's say, as Ben. Um, how can we ask questions like, you know, what is what is the engine that actually makes leaps work? How can we ask questions like, what does it feel like to to love or to lose someone? You know, how can we ask these emotional questions and? And that was, as I, I think I said before, like that was the goal of the season. That felt more exciting to all of us. And, you know, look, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I know you had Marguerite on the other week. Like we were sort of equally geeky in different ways. But, you know, I'm, you know, give me the Blade Runners of the world. And I'm always so amazed and fascinated by the things of like, oh, yeah, we just assume love between us and a replicant. Oh, my God, that's so mind blowing. But I hadn't thought about, well, what about love between a replicant and a pure AI? Like, like expanding how universe was, a, was a, I think, a, a goal of ours this season because I know, it also felt like a responsibility. You know, like Deborah's original show has done such a great job and its, its legacy has lasted as long as it has. And I think we've probably all been 
doing that in our imaginations. We've all been sort of walking around thinking about like, what does this mean and how would it work? And so we just wanted to start to put that on screen for everybody. I'm really intrigued because you mentioned about the fact that um, you, you don't have the full 45 minutes, 44 minutes for the leap portion. And we know that one of the challenges in the first season was having all these different interesting main characters vying for attention and the leap plot and the future plots. Was it, or were you conscious of any kind of risk expanding an already big ensemble cast uh, in order to tell the story? And how have you dealt with that as, as the seasons progressed? I think we were definitely conscious that coming back and having Addison have moved on after thinking Ben was dead was a giant risk. <laughs> like, it's just a giant, it's a giant ask of our audience. Um, we knew that even though we were adding two characters, um, two characters I think ultimately are, are in a lot of ways serving almost parallel purposes with each other, um, we knew that there was actually going to be more time to tell, like I said, the other stories because, you know, we didn't have to service the four or five minutes of, not that I, again, I, I don't want to say I didn't like it. Like I, you know, I remember when we were talking about the whole slingshotting through time, the way we slingshot through space. So I loved all of that in season one. Um, but, you know, every minute you're doing that's not a minute where people can be talking about something that all of us at home might actually have wrestled with or could recognize or have been through. Um, and so that was really exciting. Like it was just exciting to take something as fantastical, if you will, as Quantum Leap, right? Something sort of so, this is cutting edge, this is pushing such a big idea. And then it's like, okay, well, now let's take what it means to be in love, what it means to be a good friend, what it means to be loyal. And let's drop that in this big world. And to me, when science fiction is at its best, it's doing that. You know, I mean, I think, I know Margarita mentioned Blade Runner 2049 when she was on. Like, I, that's an, I loved that film. I know some, for some people it's not their taste, but I loved it because it's just filled with big questions. Well, one big question I have, I know that um, it seemed to me in season one, the show steadfastly stayed away from questions of faith and higher power and what we call GTFW on our show, God, yeah. time, fate, whatever. And then we had that bombshell from from Tom saying, what if sacrifice is the engine of leaping? And to me, that brings us back to that that spiritual element somewhat like sacrifice to who? Sacrifice to what? In In service of what? power. Um, I, I feel like this season you've been leaning a little bit more into that aspect of the legacy series. Is that something we can expect to see more of? Is that a very conscious choice on your Ab part? It's absolutely. I, I mean, I think one of the things we're trying to do is have our characters start to very naturally, our characters are searching for meaning now. Why am I doing this? Like Ben had a purpose a very finite purpose in his mind. He thought he was going to leap, save Addison, go home and have a hamburger. Right? <laughs> but now, now all sorts, I mean, if we think about it, why, why is the universe have them lose him for three years? Why does the universe have him crossing with Hannah? Why does the universe have Addison find a possible wedding ring 
uh, the same episode, she's realizing that, wow, like Ben really has no chance at love with me on, from his end, but this woman sure seems to care about him. Like I, the whole idea is our characters are asking those big questions. Our characters are getting frustrated at times with the universe. You know, I mean, I think Addison in particular, both Addison and Ben in particular, are really going through, it's a real trial of faith at times because, and as you'll see, we're going to continue to ask this question all the way to the finale of season two. And then we're going to hopefully really give you some satisfying answers that reaffirm a sense of a benevolent guiding force, as Magic said in season one, that sort of Martin Luther King quote. Um, we absolutely want to be asking the why. Like, what's going on here? Like, what? why is he leaping? What's making it happen? And, and that scene you mentioned with Tom, it's interesting. That was actually a case that was episode four. And it was a case of the episode had been written and we were sort of going through it as a room. And it felt like we were missing something. And we it felt like specifically we were missing a Tom scene and... And but more than that, it felt like we were missing asking a question, like we were missing sort of acknowledging that in this episode, our, our characters are sort of realizing maybe they're not going to work together. There wasn't a big question being asked. And so that was actually the genesis of that. Like I just jotted that scene down on basically on like a napkin, just like and and to the whole idea was what if what if what if it's we're not supposed to bring Sam home. Like just what if that's, what if he's out there? What if that card is, and by the way, it's what Deborah t- says to me. That is an optimistic card. It is not a, it is not a sad end. That is a happy end. And, um, and so again, lo- you know, I love my long answers, but the whole idea is all we want to do this season is be asking, why is this happening to me? And how do I be a human being while it's happening to me? I mean, I almost think that's this, but that's what this season is. I, I think we've seen Ben go through that evolution uh, remarkably well in a very short time, uh, you know, viewing wise, when it started out in uh, the closure encounters, when he tells Addison, now I'm stuck in this life, whatever this life is. Mm-hmm. And here in Nomads, he seems to really actually be leaning into it and kind of relishing a lot of the aspects of it now because he's accepted that maybe this he's in this for the long haul. So he's he's adjusted his his view on it. So I think you guys have done a, a terrific job of that. Great. I mean, look, that's that's life, right? I mean, that's we don't dictate all the circumstances of our lives. We want to, but. We all get big curveballs. We all have profound disappointments. I would argue Ben not getting home at the end of season one was a profound disappointment for Ben. And then we just added to, we were like, let's add some more disappointments on there. (laughs) And at a certain point, you know, there's that great quote from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. Like I remember when I was working on this episode, I was was like, get busy leaping or get busy dying. I mean, that's really what Ben as a human being has to start to do. When you're getting ideas for a season, uh, what is the process like uh, in the room, in your head of like the big beats and like, you know, do you know where immediately where you want it to finish? And are you just trying to figure out how to get there or, and, or do you work your ways backwards and how does that work? 
you know, we spend a few weeks basically. So, you know, to, to, to give you the sort of the specifics. So the first idea that stuck was Martin saying, what if we did a three-year time loop? Like the, the, like the minute he said that, it was just he and I at that point talking, but we both committed 100% to that. And then, um, and then immediately after that, you know, that relieved a huge pressure, which was the notion of keeping Addison and Ben as an intact couple. Just, it terrified me as a writer, because I just felt like I was going to be asking the audience and the actors to see, to do the same thing basically every week, variations on it. So first we did Timely. That immediately led to Addison's Got Someone New. Um, and very quickly also led to the idea of Hannah, who now that, you know, we're through eight episodes, I think, you know, it's safe to say is a chance, if nothing else, to explore like I said, what would it be like to be a, like, how do you find, how do you leave an impact as Ben's song when you're a leaper? Not as the person you've leapt into and fixed their lives. Like what, what are Ben's songs footprints in the sands of time? And like, here's at least potentially one. Here's a woman who he's going to change her life. She's going to know it was a guy named Ben's song, right? Drew Lindo did that so beautifully in 206, which the only thing she wants to know is his name. Um, so Hannah came really quick and I like, I'm a Hannah's kind of was my jam. Like I was all in on the Hannah story. It's my kind of story. Um, and so pretty quickly we then we knew, okay, more or less the pace of what we want to do with Hannah, more or less the pace of what we want to do with Tom and Addison. So, and, and I would say a little more, but I'll save it for our two thirteen show. And I promise I will come back after that one. Um, <laughs> And then, um, did you, did you, so basically you spend a week or two doing that. Um, and then you're into breaking individual episodes and putting in the micro steps and seeing if your if you're pacing guesses were right. So, for example, Martin felt strongly, and I agreed with him, that we should do all of 201 without anyone but Ben. And then, and we were terrified because the network and studio, first of all, we were terrified they were just going to say no to the concepts of season two because it was a change, but they were supportive. And their only note was, we feel like if you're not, if there's no presence of the team in the first episode of season two, it's a little disingenuous because you are going to keep telling their stories. And that's what led to the memories. Um, so that's an example of where, you know, the, the good process of, of collaboration between writers and network and studio. So we knew two was going to be, was going to end with Addison. Uh, I knew right away it was going to be, she doesn't need to tell him because he's going to write, he's going to take a look at her. No. Um, and then we'd also know, and you know, our, one of our beliefs as a writer's room is we're not gonna, we're not gonna linger in melodrama or schmaltz, like our characters are, our characters are sophisticated, worldly grown-ups. They're not teenagers. No offense, to teenagers. <laughs> um, you know, they're going to move through emotions relatively quickly. So, uh, sorry again, long answer. But so we kind of knew by four we wanted the "I hate you, I hate you too" to be over. Um. And then we knew 
we knew by the mid-season finale that we wanted to them to have found a new footing and really, I think, be accepting for the first time, oh, this, the universe, which I'm hoping is benevolent here, sure seems to be guiding us in a different path than we expected. Like, it's thrown Hannah in his way three times, and clearly she cares for him. It's made me find a ring. Like, if you, you know, if the old, like, which is the universe sending you signs, um, just when you think the universe is sending you those signs, all of a sudden you've got a possibility that you can bring Ben back. Um, so again, a chance to question the universe because while we always want to be optimistic in Quantum Leap, I, I think it's important to allow our characters to doubt too, um, to doubt the benevolence of what's happening to them. You know, like in, in the original series, they got to be able to do that with things like Lothos. You had actual like negative forces out there. In our case, I think we're, we're being a little bit more almost biblical in its, you know, these trials that the universe seems to be putting in front of you don't have sort of simple, clear explanations, but you know, they, they, I was talking to Caitlin the other day and I was saying like, boy, we've really beat up Addison this season. Like we've just really put, we've obviously put Ben through the ringer, but we've really put Addison through the ringer um, because every time she thinks she can set her feet in something, um, we pull the rug out from under her. I love the beats in, in Nomad. Uh, some, of the, some of the moments in Nomad, especially with uh, Caitlin, and um, the like when she's realizing that there's love between Hannah and Ben and almost like finally realizing again what she's lost. Because when when uh, they got Ben back, she had an opportunity to be with him again because it was one day for Ben. But uh, but she didn't. But can you tell me a little bit about when you're writing the script? Is that all communicated in the script or is that like in conversations with directors and Caitlin and stuff like that? No, you know, I mean, that's a great, that's a great question. I never even thought about it that way. It's the hope is, so you don't write it like specifically in description. Hey, this, I'm hoping this, right. You will write things in description sometimes that a character is looking at someone feeling a certain way, you know, like you, you'll sort of put little hints in, but most of the time, what you're hoping is that the writing and the imagination of the people reading it will go, Oh yes. Like this is happening. Now I say that sort of hopefully because it's always, there's always a risk to it. And I think in some ways we took a lot of risks in 208. I'm glad to hear that at least some of them were working um, because we were covering a lot of emotional ground fairly quickly. Um, and we were doing it, in the penumbra of this exotic location and this sort of this idea that we all have these moments in life where for 24 hours or 72 hours, it seems like we're in our own little mini universe. Like this is, it's we're in our own world. Um, and that's where I think all of our characters were. And um, so the hope is that the, that the directors and the actors understand it. But then before you go to film, you actually have a, what's called a tone meeting 
which is where you go through the script with the director and I do kind of a version of what we're doing right now, except with the script in front of me. And I'll say, so in this scene, you know, what's happening is this. And what's great is this. And because, you know, we had Chris Grismer on this, who's our producing director. He knows all the storylines, but we are often working with people who are just coming in for the week. So they may not know the function of all these things. So you go through every scene and you talk what it's supposed to do, what's most important and why. And you do that one to make sure you're all on the same page, no pun intended Two, so that the director knows what to do if the day is going sideways or, you know, like they're out there on set. If they know the intention of the scene and what's most important, if they have to improvise, they can, which because I wasn't on the set, we were on strike at this point. Um, so that's, that's, Again, another one of my classic long answers to your question. Um, it's in the script and then it's in, in meetings right before you shoot the episode. If, if I can uh, just follow up on that collaborative process, it's something I think we've asked the writers, but having you would give us more of a unique uh, you know, overview. I mean, so Derek and... Um, uh, Drew uh, when Margarita, you know, they they want to write their story. They want to do the Salem. They want to do the the spy thriller. They want to do this. So they're pitching their stories, and you say, "Great, let's run with that one. Let's run with that one." And then do you go up to uh, Margarita and say, "Okay, in the middle of this, you also have to incorporate this element of the overarching story," or do you go to like Benjamin and Derek and say, "You have to put this part in," or you know, yeah, how does that work? No, it's it's a great question. So, you know, the room all knows the basic roadmap and all knows, let's say, like, these are going to be the five or six or two or three hand episodes. These are going to be, so they'll know those big touchstones. Um, then we order the episodes and we try to do it so that no two leaps in a row feel similar. You know, we try to marry, we, we keep in mind who's free when. You know, when a writer is assigned a script, it takes them roughly between two to three weeks to write it, then two to three weeks until that shoots of preparation. They're on the set for two weeks. And then, so it, in other words, it's a six or seven week, let's say, I don't think my math is right, commitment where they're out of the room, right? Like they'll be in communication with us, but they're they're out of the room. So I, you know, we can't say, okay, Ben and Derek are going to do episode four and then they're going to do episode six because those were both their ideas. It's like, as I think Margarita mentioned, like leap, die, repeat was their idea. Um, but they were doing the, I forget what we ended up calling the, the, the hospital episode, but they were uh, paging so they Dr. Song. Yeah, they were doing paging Dr. Song. So they very graciously were cool about the fact that, uh, to let Margarita do it. Um, and then when we're breaking the actual episode, which we do on this show as a room, um, you know, putting in the note cards. Okay, the opening image is going to be this. So in this case, for me, it was like, we're going to open. Uh, I, I sort of did the same thing I did in the Battleship episode. I wanted, wanted to open with the like, where the heck am I? Whoa. I got like, I got, I got the easy openings to write. on the, um, But, you know, you put the cards and we all go over them as a room. And then we all decide this is working, this isn't working, you know, hey, we, you know, one of the things, I don't know if it would make the season better or not, 
But one of the things that when I was writing eight, I found myself thinking was, I kind of wish I'd seen this Addison and Tom opening scene earlier in the season. Like, because, and now maybe I'm wrong. And, and I should say, I had the thought. I didn't really go with it. But, you know, we had not seen Addison and Tom as a couple doing a couple thing until episode eight. Like, some part of me thinks, oh, maybe that was too late. On the other hand, when I watch the season, I go, oh, that's nice. But, all, again, just that's an example of you go through the note cards, you make sure they're working, and then you stop and you look at the big board and you go, oh, wait a minute. If we want to reach that goal and we're only at this episode, like, oh, we're going to have to stretch or we're going to have to crush <laughs> or or we have to rethink it. And there were certainly things that we rethought or we, you know, adjusted. Um, so, and then we all, you know, we all know that it's possible for whatever reason, someone might help you rewrite a scene or we'll write the same character all through the season to make sure the voices are more consistent. So it's, it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative process, but we also, Martin and I try to empower the each writer so that really when you see their name on an episode, you're seeing their work. It's not, it's not like they just contribute a little bit. They're not like little robots somewhere like you're there. It's them producing it. It's them writing it, you know? And I think, you start to almost get a feel for what each writer likes to do. Like um, after, you know, certainly like, again, cause I saw Margarita last week. Like yeah. I, I can tell a Margarita episode whenever <laughs> I see one, I'm like, that's a Margarita. I'm interested. Cause you've, uh, you, you mentioned about the collaboration with Chris and, and the strike. Now, obviously you would have had to have stepped back from 208 much earlier than in one fourteen. Um, did you come back after the strike and get back involved in the episode or was it actually, no, just. No, no, believe it or not. I mean, what I, I did something similar to what Margarita did where I, I tried to give Chris and, and again, I had the advantage of it being Chris. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, we talk every day, but I tried to give him I gave him alternate lines for certain scenes if, you know, cause I, you're thinking like a producer, you're like, what if they get over to Egypt and they can't film that? Like, or what if the actor or actress, you know, I gave him alts he could try. I gave him a sort of, nice. a, I tried to give him what it would be like for me to be there to sort of support him. Um, and for the most part, I mean, I mean, they did a great job. It's funny. Like there's only like one line in the whole thing where I'm like, no, that actually it's meant to be a different line. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, it's nerve wracking. I mean, our post team edited them. I mean, Martin and I, you know, the, the writer's guild was very specific about what it viewed as contributions and what it didn't. Um, and even if sometimes it didn't necessarily, you know, it didn't matter whether I thought she is giving notes on a cut. Is that writing? The guild was very clear. It's like, that's a, that's a writing contribution. So, you know, we were lucky in a way we were lucky that it was our 24th or 26th contiguous episode. So we weren't handing the stuff off to people who didn't really have a good sense of what the show was. <sighs> 
about uh, Nomad, how does one get a network television show to go on location in Egypt? That seems like a big <laughs> ask. And, so, and you got it. So um, Martin, when he was making the show Blind Spot, um, started working with a company called Magic Key. And what they do is they basically help you film internationally. They have local crews. They are, you know, they have local organizations. They know the places, right? So we knew after episode eight, it was going to be our mid-season finale. We knew strike or no strike, we were shutting down because we had done so many episodes in a row. So we were taking a hiatus. So Martin said, that's the one where you can shoot abroad because what you do is the days shooting abroad are the final days that you shoot, right? Because you're, you burn two days of travel in each direction. It's, it's highly inefficient to try to shoot internationally anywhere, but at the very end of your shoot, because think of it this way, every day that you're filming your show, you're paying people, whether those people are working or not. So in our case, you, you don't want to pay people and then go away to Paris for two weeks and make an episode in Paris because you're paying basically double. You're paying twice. Two, and the studio just says no. Um, so we knew we would do it at the mid-season finale. And I started thinking of sort of more classic European capitals like Rome or Paris. And Martin was like, no, like I, the, they, they can look like America. People might think we're on a back lot. He said, we need to go somewhere where the audience's jaw drops and they can't believe that you're there. And on and Magic Key sent us a list of, you know, places to film and, and Egypt was on there. And so that was pretty much that was a Egypt picked itself, but it made us look smart because it was the perfect setting for sort of Casablanca, English patienty esque story, right? It, it felt like for the story we tell, 60s Cairo, sort of a sexy world was perfect. So we look really clever. Um, but that was, that's behind the, that's the magic of it. Was, it's actually that, that's how you do it. Well, you guys going to Egypt um, is indicative of another trend that we've been seeing this season in the sense that the leaps just seem to be bigger, bolder, more adventurous, uh, can you tell us about um, sort of threading that needle and doing stuff that is different from, say, the Legacy series, but still trying to keep the core of what makes Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap? Yeah, that's another great question. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't think we were conscious of the fact that the leaps are bigger and bolder. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, you know, we didn't – that wasn't a mandate. We didn't go – they got to be bigger. They got to be bigger. I think maybe, you know, we had grown in confidence as a room. I think also, again, you would be surprised how freeing it was to know we didn't have to serve as a plot mystery for that stretch, right? That meant, you know, because the HQ stories were going to be emotionally tied to the leap, what it also means is it frankly feels like you're getting 42 to 44 minutes of leap as opposed to 28 minutes of leap mm -hmm. and 10 minutes of let's solve the code. Um, 
And we just, you know, we, we, I guess we took bigger swings when I think about it. Like we just, it was a fun list. Let's do a UFO. Let's do a, you know, like uh, the, the guys who wanted to do the LA riots from season one. I thought that was classic quantum leap uh, story. Um, but yeah, I would say we didn't, the goal wasn't to be bigger, um, but the goal was certainly to be more emotional and more co as much coherence as possible between present, uh, I don't say present day, but, you know, HQ and leap. Um, and we did, we had coherence in season one sometimes. And I think those seem to be the episodes people like the most. A lot of times the coherence, what I mean by that is they were solving a mystery that was like paying off or was affecting the leap. Like in the battleship, it was like, oh, magic was getting information. We were piecing it together. Um, but this, this year we got to, we got to do, we got, I think it just feels bigger. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they are bigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be what you're saying because the stories, the stories do seem a little bit more cohesive. So yeah. that's, that's probably uh, lending, lending some, some, you know, some weight to that. I'm interested. You say you've, um, you've sort of shied away almost from a, a mystery box that needs a little bit of unpacking every week. And you've just left us with this. Um, here's a here's a document that is going to lead into what sounds like potentially a five episode mystery box. Is that a fair expectation, or what? What, what can we look forward to over uh, what's coming up early next year? Yeah, how can I how can I say this in a non spoilery <laughs> way? So. Um, for sure, it's a bit of a mystery box. It's actually, you. I think you will get to the end of 13 and you'll see, oh my goodness, like that was playing out for longer than I thought um, mm -hmm. in ways I didn't expect. Um, but we are going to get, there is a bit more of a puzzle now. There is a like, are we going to figure out, are we going to, you know, are we bringing Ben home? Um, what is this? DARPA thing? What is it a fragment of? Where did it come from? Um, we are going to get a little bit more of that. I mean, we're going to get that. That's part of the story. Um, but it's, and, and, you know, and you'll get, you'll get to know, you know, we've set up that Ian obtained a, a chip from someone. You, you will meet that someone like all, all, all the threads, the emotional and the story threads all will come together. Um, but you know, it's not over the course of the season. It's over the it's 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 a portion of the season as opposed mm -hmm. to the only thing of the season. I think you threaded that needle pretty well. Uh, mm. <laughs> I mean, just uh, just in in practical terms, um, last week um, before Nomad, we got to see Ben leap back. You know, to 1692, as far back as any leap has ever gone. Do you guys have um, any kind of hard limit on how far back you're going to go, or is it just all story based? And if you think you can, dinosaurs. Yeah, dinosaurs. Yeah, that's, sure. what, that's what we're thinking. Just one episode. That's all. No, it's a good. It's it's a, again another great question, a fair question. We've never sat as a room and drawn a line through a date in history and said, you know, no further than this. I do think. I do think there's a line past which it goes from, oh, I'm going to learn something about life that relates to today to this is a gimmick. Like I, mm. 
I love the idea of Ben with dinosaurs, but there's no there's no human story to really tell there. Yeah, so, he's got to be able to leap into somebody, right? So yeah. I, I, That's a good point. I um, I you know, I wouldn't. I'm not afraid to go back further than we have, but I don't. I, I don't want the stories to ever stop being human stories that at mm. least have a present day threat, you know, that, that ties somehow to what we're going through now. Dinosaurs is one thing, but like um, I really enjoyed in one night in Koreatown uh, where Ray got to use his Korean. And I was thinking it would be amazing to see an episode totally in Korean, which would uh, be in Ben's skill set, obviously. And uh, is there any thought of like doing different episodes like that down the line? Well, I'll say this. We certainly we like to push the network and, mm-hmm. and how much they'll, you know, I don't say they'll let us do that makes it sound like they're tough parents. But, mm-hmm. you know, they they know their audience. You know, they know things like subtitles are hard on television audiences. So when we, you know, you just have to give it a little more thought when we get to do it. But I think in success, I mean, we're already setting up for season three, knock on wood, where we're going to be pushing, we're, we're already going to be pushing some new limits. Um, so I, I, I don't rule anything out of the table as long as it's produced, you know, the big, in a lot of ways, I think, and again, I know Marguerite mentioned this, but the, the the biggest limiter is is the reality of how much time and money you have to make an episode. Of I mean, that is the, uh, and that's a lot. I mean, it's wonderful to have a limitation because otherwise, you know, the blank page is te- totally blank page is terrifying. But pretty much, if it can be done in a reasonable amount of time and in a reasonable budget. Our writers' room and Martin and I and our production team are going to try it. I can, t- or we're going to try to pull it. I mean, we tr- we already tried to pull off some crazy stuff, including, frankly, going to Cairo. Like that was a, mm. you know, if that footage, if that footage hadn't worked, it was not going to be as nearly interesting and in looking episode if we had to now then go refilm it, mm-hmm. fake it. And, you know, besides the fact that we'd be, be destroying our budget. The audience would just be like, oh, the CG pyramids. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One question that I do have is that going back to the GTFW thing and maybe leaning into some of the more spiritual aspects of the Legacy series, are there other threads from the series that are, you know, on your minds when you're crafting how this show goes forward, things that you might want to pick up or at least allude to, to give more connective tissue? Or is, is that ever even a concern? Um, well, we're always looking for it. I mean, there's, there's a, I wish I could answer because there's one connective thread that I don't think the, the Twitter X or whatever the, like not, I don't really monitor social media, but there's a tie to the original series that I don't, I haven't seen people make yet in this season story, but um, you know, we're always looking for those opportunities. Um, and by the end of the season, you will have one explicitly stated on screen. Um, but yeah, mostly what we're trying to do is, 
do the things that they couldn't do because they didn't have an Addison in a team. You know, like it's, you know, sometimes, look, I love the original so much. And there are times like when we were filming the first episode, we were like, boy, it's fun. Like just all leap, all bend all the time. And it is. But, you know, the rest of our cast is not, a, that's not a hindrance. That's like a, that's an opportunity. Right. And so I think to your, to your point of asking these bigger spiritual questions, like, you know, we want to put them all, they've all made interesting choices this year. You know, I mean, we haven't really talked about it on the screen yet, but we will be talking more about, you know, the fact that Ian refused to give up and how does, you know, how does, obviously Ian's in some sort of trouble for refusing to give up, but you know, that there's a flip side to that coin, which is that's incredibly heroic. Um, you know, there's, Obviously, what magic has gone through, there's what Addison is going through, present present tense with, I mean, God bless her that she doesn't just walk out of that place and say, I'm done. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't put myself through this anymore. Um, you know, Ben doesn't have choice, literally. She does. And she keeps showing up for him, for all the people who are disappointed that maybe she didn't just leave the light on forever and refused to accept that he was gone. Like she came back to work the day she found out. So Dean, I cannot wait. I mean, we, we are so super stoked as a podcast because about an hour before we spoke to you, we spoke to the entire main cast and they were alluding to like big stuff to come in the back five. And now you're giving us Mason even more. Mason everything. Everything. Yeah. Mason somehow got everything out of Martin and I. Like when we, when we went back into production, Mason asked one question, and I somehow I found myself telling them the entire rest of the season. <laughs> I don't think I've told Ray or Caitlin that. Oh, I should. <laughs> Mason has what power. Yeah. So, Matt, here's a special note. Let's lean on Mason a little bit. See what they have to say. Um, so, well, Dean, you have been generous with your time. You have given us so much to think about. We are thrilled to have you back here on the Quantum Leap podcast. Thank you so much for everything you. you've done for our favorite series and for being so open and receptive to us and to the fans. We no, really appreciate thank it. Thank you all so much. And um, like I said, I'm excited to come back, hopefully pretty soon, um, and talk about it give you all a little time to digest it and then we can talk about it as a whole. Awesome. Awesome. We Thanks can't so wait much. for that. Thank you. So Thank much. you. Thank you. Thank you. So fascinating. You know, I, I mean, obviously I, I love just hanging out and chatting with the stars, but uh, you know, I'm also in this for the, the facts and understanding the process and that, that kind of stuff that the, the behind the scenes people can give us best. And I think we got a lot there. Dean shared a lot about his thoughts on how the seasons run to date, what's coming up next. Uh, we're so fortunate just to have got that kind of insight. Yeah, just information overload for me. And um, again, I've been beating that horse of GTFW and spirituality for the last several episodes. So it was finally just so good to be able to ask him about it and to get the answer that I got from him about it. I was really surprised. I, I did not expect that to be the answer. I th honestly thought that we were all reaching a bit for that spiritual stuff and imagining seeing patterns that weren't there. But no, we're seeing patterns that are there. Hooray!
I'm just glad that it did bear fruit that we were thinking along the same lines because it makes us look like more thoughtful, intelligent viewers when we know we're just dicking around. But shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so thank you, Dean, for again being so accessible and for quite a substantive interview. I had, I had, wow, like mind blown. And again, this is why we can't wait for the back half of season five. And hopefully we get them back to back to back to back. I hope, uh, don't drip them out over like eight weeks. Yes, that would be so frustrating. Let's, let's have a month. <laughs> Let's have a quantum leap month. Hey, let's have a quantum leap week. It's been oh, a, it's wow. been thirty years since I've done a quantum leap week. Five night, five night spectacular. That was an amazing success, from what I understand. It could it yeah. couldn't help but be anything but now. Yeah. So if you're listening out there, powers that be, make it happen. What a way! What a way to go out on the midseason finale. Uh, as far as podcast interviews, I am just uh, thank you for you. You know, setting all this stuff up, Matt. Uh, again, you and Albie are the instrument that gets this thing done. So it's always such a pleasure, and uh, I think yeah, we we make a great team between all of us, and I'm I'm just so glad, as you've already alluded to, uh, the fact that the cast and crew are so willing to be open with us and they do this on their free time this is yeah, this was saturdays these were both recorded they didn't have to do this and they they love the fans so we're very fortunate that it is not a difficult job uh, to get them on the show yeah yeah for sure now uh this is usually where i dive into patreon news and i do have something to relate to in as far as like interviewing people for the show turns out that a couple of things have changed on Patreon in the last few months. They've now made it so that you could go and just be a free member of our patron community. So you can just go and like our Patreon site, patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. It doesn't get you access to our content per se, but since we found that we have like this new tier that was just added by patron and a bunch of people signed up as free patrons, even though you don't have to subscribe per month or whatever, um, Albie took it upon himself because he's such a mensch to start mm-hmm. doing um video outtakes from the celebrity interviews that we do so i just discovered them this morning when i was looking to see if we had any new patrons uh he put two videos one with uh amanda jaros and another one with jet wilder those were two of the guest stars from a kind of magic and uh i was watching i was i was laughing one of them i had been involved in the other one i wasn't and they were both really funny they're not very long, but uh, I would recommend that you guys check that stuff out as bonus content. It's really cute, and uh, I think it's worth the time it takes to go over there and look. So that's patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast for those blooper outtakes. Who knows? I mean, we had so much going on yesterday. I'm sure there might be a couple from this that I'll be pulls. So I'll be waiting along with you to see them. So cool. Yeah. Uh, we do have some feedback, though. Oh, yay. Yeah, and it kind of relates to some of the stuff we've been talking about in this episode. So I will begin this one. It's from a listener named Sean Huntley, who writes, Good afternoon, gents. I guess that's you and me. I'm still listening to the recent pod app and regarding the evil chip plotline, the answer is staring us in the face. You all began talking about butterfly effects, and Ben created the biggest of them all when he told Hannah who he was, continuing to leap with no way home. Hannah will continue to be curious, and Hannah created the original evil chip. Let's be honest, the character is probably dead in the project's timeline, but Hannah created her own project that led to the development of the chip to find Ben and bring him home. An evil chip lady is a part of that project. Just my thoughts. Thanks for reading. I enjoy the pod. Sean Huntley. 
Ooh, Sean giving Simone Evil Chip quite the backstory there. <laughs> I love it. I still don't see why Hannah has to be dead. I think she can show up like that lady in Titanic saying, It's been 84 years since I saw Ben Song, and I can still smell the fresh paint. <laughs> uh, and I made an evil chip along the way. I think she's wearing it around her neck like the heart of the sea or whatever the hell that <laughs> yes, stupid thing was. Just, <laughs> the evil chip gets dropped into the ocean at the end. Bye-bye. <laughs> I think it's it's interesting because, I mean, they are hitting us over the head with Hannah's just like the super scientist all of a sudden. and uh, yes. Not all of a sudden, but Ben put her on that path. So it'd be, it'd be a nice way to tie everything all together. I don't know if we have to, but uh, it seems like it might go there. So, Sean, let's see how your instincts play out. Yeah, there's, there's got to be some kind of connection there. Well, we'll see if Sean is right. And if you have any of your own pet theories to put forth, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can send us your manifesto at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can Instagram us at quantumleappodcast or X us at quantumleappod. And you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast, where you can comment on all of our videos. We have many, many videos over there. You can also go that extra mile and support us on Patreon. Apparently support us for free on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. Well, next, since we're into the, uh, the mid season break, we are going back to the original series and we are revisiting blind faith. Oh boy. And because we're going back to the original series, that means the return of Alison Pregler. Yay! The triumphant return of AP. It's in the works. <laughs> the team is back together. So we're going to be talking all about the season two episode, Blind Faith, where Sam leaps into a blind pianist. Very much looking forward to, to all that. We won't have any fun at all with the word pianist now, will we? <laughs> you, heard, I, you heard how careful I was with that? <laughs> I guess we'll see. <laughs> Until that time, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. And I've been Matt Dale. And keep leaping, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television 
and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. Now you're a giant pianist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Aren't we always squeeing in one way or another?